Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is interview number 40, a near five-hour marathon with the Bitcoin citizen and sovereign hopeful, Laser Hoddle. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Underneath all of it, all wars are bankers' wars. Um, all wars are are the the manifest business of of uh, monetary colonization. Um, that 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 central banking is 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 an imperial force that is uh, 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 draping itself over all of, all of our families' times in order to conduct planetary usury. Um, and and uh, it, it's money, you know, it's the money changers. And, you know, in, 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 in sort of the view of, of the, the Christians, it's the money changers. Um, uh, and so that, that's the, the, the core thesis and in, in, in that um, in doing so, um, the, 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 the problem with the system that they've derived is it's very efficacious at, at usury and, and time theft and creating debt slaves of everyone. Um, but it also, it, 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 it is destabilizing the, the world quicker and quicker. And it has a lot of, uh, downstream side effects that are undesirable. Um, and the population, uh, went parabolic after 1970. Um, and it, it could be for a lot of reasons about like, uh, sanitary, you know, better conditions with, with sanitation and, and, um, and uh, antibiotics and 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 broader uh, food um, access, but uh, disconnect. You know, basically creating a welfare state, a nanny state, allowed uh, uh, population growth to explode. And so you, we went from like under a billion to eight billion in like seventy years, <laughs> and, and and that's when the fiat era started. And, and so, in a weird way, this system has created like. Um, a massive underclass of, of useless feeders of people who um, they, they're net negative in terms of they consume more resources than they produce. Um, and uh, that's a quagmire um, that money printing created. And, and, and of course. What the heck is going on? If you're anything like me, the past two years have had you asking that question perhaps multiple times per week. Not only does it seem like every institution has become corrupt and is crumbling, but also that there's no one in the public sphere to trust and that nothing makes sense. International governments and bureaucracies issue contradictory edicts about an illness that most resembles the flu, while brands bankrupt themselves supporting social justice causes that only a handful of people care about. The media lies to our face then gaslights us about the lying. Elections don't seem to matter, nor freedom of speech really, either. Men wear surgical masks while driving alone in cars. 
Cities burn in, quote, mostly peaceful protests. Children stare at computer screens all day on Zoom, rather than going to actual schools, and drown in sexualized content on TikTok the rest of the day, confusing them and their identities. We're threatened with the need to put unknown substances into our bloodstream to drive across state lines or travel overseas by pale government bureaucrats and an alleged president who can't remember his name. Meanwhile, for those of us who still have jobs unthreatened by oppressive mandates, we're finding that our full-time work weeks earn us purchasing power increasingly equivalent to a part-time job, with no end to that trend in sight. And as we look around in 2022, we see gradually emptying shelves, fat accumulating on everyone's bodies, men's testosterone and sperm counts dropping, and the decaying moral and social fabric everywhere, all seemingly overnight. As I said, what the heck is going on? Wasn't a party of endless growth the promise? Why the sudden powerful decay? Why does everything feel so heavy all the time? What if I told you there's an answer, a grand narrative in an age where grand narratives are forbidden? Only this one is hidden in plain sight, behind a fog of chaos. If I were to tell you that grand narrative, I couldn't claim it as my own because I learned it from another man. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Laser Hoddle, and he's a husband, former software engineer, fantastically deep and broad thinker, Bitcoin citizen, and sovereign hopeful. The word Hoddle in his name refers to that, for those who don't know. It's not a typo. Think of it as a way that such a man signals he's all in. I have listened to many men and women in the past couple years attempt to explain what's going on in our world. The best of them grasp one part, more or less, but none have seemed to me like they've got a hold of it all. Until I heard Laser Huddle a couple of short months ago and realized, I think this man has got it. His thesis is that what we're experiencing has nothing to do with viruses or systemic oppression, staying safe, or not killing grandma. The answer is far more prosaic, and at the same time, bigger than everything. Because what's going on at root has to do with money, how it's created and why that system is failing, or perhaps has already failed, and what might happen next. And surprisingly, knowing that isn't frightening, but empowering, because buried within that picture is the answer for what we, as men, can do about it. I mean really do about it. And the answer is Bitcoin. At this stage in my opening essays, I usually say, in our conversation we discussed, and I list off five bullet points. But in this conversation, Laser Hoddle and I discuss just one thing, why Bitcoin is immediately, urgently relevant to you as a man. That subject is so broad and far-reaching, it took us almost five hours to cover it in total, including all of Laser's greatest hits and more. We moved from Malthusian fear spells to global finance, geopolitics and get on zero, our personal histories and far beyond into the Christian religion, our shared faith, and Bitcoin touches on it all. For those of you unfamiliar with Bitcoin, what it is and how it works, fear not. Shortly after this podcast is released, I'll be doing a companion episode about the how and what of Bitcoin with the man who gave me my orange pill, Carlos Fenman, the Bitcoin coach. In this episode with Laser Hoddle, however, we go deep into the why of Bitcoin and set up lawn chairs. And in that, I encourage you to listen carefully to our discussion we go all the way out there. Don't be afraid to rewind and listen again 
or even a third time. Because it's vitally important that we all get this as men. As we're building our bodies and families anew, human society needs reconstruction too. And there's nothing more fundamental to global human society than money. If we succeed in transforming that, as you'll see, there's nothing we can't do. A couple quick notes before we begin. First, we recorded this episode last Thursday, before the recent big dip. And more importantly, neither LaserHoddle nor I are offering financial advice or are selling any financial instruments. We do not benefit in any way from your participation in Bitcoin beyond how you benefit the wider network and potentially the world. We are inviting you to participate in an experience with us that has changed our lives and many others. This grand episode is sponsored by Deepwell Designs, makers of fine silver and stone jewelry handmade in the Western United States. Keep listening for more information or hit the link in the description. And if you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and review and share it with your friends. I think they'll want to enjoy the bounty of this conversation. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce my 40th guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, a mind and a man that I admire greatly, Laser Huddle. Laser Huddle, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, it's a pleasure. I've been excited to come aboard and, and talk masculinity, talk Bitcoin. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation so much because I think that for the past couple of years, so many men have been trying to figure out what the heck is going on just to make sense of the world that seems to have gone mad overnight, almost overnight. And I've been during that time, I've been listening to a lot of different takes about what might be happening. And when I first heard your take, I think it was on the Tales of the Crypt podcast. I was like, this man has a grounded open perspective on what's going on that just makes sense on this really, really deep level and synthesizes so many different topics that relate to, as you said, Bitcoin, money, society, politics, culture, and also masculinity. So I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity for us to connect and expand the conversation around masculinity. Yeah, I, I agree totally. I, I, you know, I think we're, we're surrounded with folks that are trying to make sense of the last two years um, from 2020. Yeah. On COVID and everything we're seeing around us. And so there's an incredible amount of confusion um, and a lot of grasping, trying to, to, to make sense of it. And, um, you know, my basic principle is that y- you need to follow the money. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a money based thesis as to what we're seeing in the world, you don't have much. Why and, and I agree with I agree with you, but why why is that? Why money of all the different things? Because there are so many different ways to look at it. And and I agree with you that money is so is so central. But for a man listening to this who's exploring masculinity but doesn't understand how money applies to it, where do you see the the vital overlap as being? Well, it, it, you you have to break down what money is. So when people hear that term, follow the money, they they assume that it's a, there's a, like a strong greed element, like someone is doing things to the world that just wants money. And mm-hmm. it's far deeper than that. Um, what money is, so money is, is stored energy. So you learn a skill and you produce value for the world and you store the returns of that, the profit of that 
in money. And that allows you to access other people's efforts, other people's sacrifice, other people's energy. So it's, it's, it's how you trade energy within the human species. Now, that is the fundamental bedrock of the entire world. Okay, mm-hmm. so w- when you understand that money is your, your time, it's your stored time, your sacrifice, your effort, um, it's important because that's the fundamental incentive, right? And so um, everything that you see in terms of macro events, geopolitical events, things that affect the whole world at once has its roots in this prime, uh, this, this dominant incentive. Um, it, 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 so every world war, you need to be able to explain in terms of monetary phenomena. Mm-hmm. It's not just conflict between nations. Um, and and, and so, so the same thing I would submit is the case with COVID. And, and when I started looking at the last two years from the point of view of a monetary phenomenon, you know, and I started studying history with that point of view, it allowed me to create a narrative that described what we were experiencing more comprehensively um, than I think many people had had sort of managed to before. Mm-hmm. And that's what really landed for me about, about your perspective, is that by rooting everything, routing everything through the notion of money, suddenly everything made sense, but you routed it in such a, in such a different way, because like you said, follow the, follow the money, right? People hear that and they think, they think greed, like the accumulation of, of capital, but it's actually, it's actually quite a bit darker than that. It's not just the accumulation of capital. It's the deprivation of others from their capital and from the value of their capital. Like the, 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 which is to say we work we uh, give our time and our life force energy to the production of something of value, and that comes back to us in the form of money. But if you take if you take a dollar away from us, that's as bad as ter- as turning a dollar into fifty cents through inflation. And so both of these phenomena are happening at the same time. And when you put those pieces pieces together, then it all started re- making quite a bit more sense. What we're seeing around us with COVID and and all of that. Yeah, if you can if you can take someone's money. Uh, through money printing, so you're taking it in, in, in this invisible manner that's not obvious, um, then not only are you stealing their time from the past, stealing their past sacrifice, their past energy, but you're forcing them to continue, right? So, so you actually can command, command their time. And um, when you build society on a system that allows this unchecked time theft through money printing, that, you know, inflation, um, and people can't defend themselves from that inflation, right. what you're doing is it, it's actually a type of usury. It's a type of yeah. planetary um, slavery because you can command uh, the time of everyone on earth because they have no way to uh, defend themselves from that. Um, and, and so that's so important to understand this, this monetary system that we live in today, this it, it is based on, um, uh, uh, paper notes that exist digitally, but they're, they're fiat notes that the, the government has sort of imbued with authority and told us that this is how you'll exchange your time and effort in these notes. And, and they, of course, have the ability to create those at will. And um, 
that's a big problem because, uh, well, you know, in the last two years, it's clear inflation, when it gets really high, you see your future disintegrating. You see your retirement disappearing. You see the chances that you'll have to work harder, longer, increase. Yeah. And um, that's, that's a absolute travesty. Um, it's 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 one of the, the the most severe injustices I can think of, and it, and it it honestly gives me a type of um, uh, like this this anger. Um, it's just hard to fully. It's hard to overstate the the cruelty that that yeah. that, that is casting out across the the world. So um, it's important to. to it's really important to, to realize that um, this fiat system that we live in, you know, up until now, we really have not had a choice. You, you've kind of had to work with the constraints and do your best to get ahead. And when inflation came and pulled you back, you just rolled with it. But with something like a Bitcoin, more and more are waking up and realizing they actually don't have to play that game. And for the first time ever, you can start building your life around this idea that your energy, your savings, your effort, your sacrifice, that you can protect it. And there isn't a single government or money printer in the world that can steal that time. That's so, it's so important because I think there are so many men now that feel, and you can't really miss it. Like if, if you've missed the fact that something is really, really wrong, like you're probably not listening to this podcast in the first place. But if you've missed, I mean, so many men feel that something is very deeply wrong and you can look around and you can see mandates, <clears throat> excuse me, mandates, passports, you know, you can see masks and the craziness. But then there's also this phenomenon of like the empty shelves. And then there's the feeling that money doesn't go so far. And hey, that's kind of been happening for a really long time. So where do I put my money that I've worked hard for into, uh, we'll say a store of value that will protect it for the long term? There's no place to put it. I put it in my savings account and interest rates are zero. I put it in the stock market and the stock market blows up because of, uh, because of uh, a bunch of mortgages, mortgage-backed securities. You know, I put it in a 401k maybe you put it all these different places and there's this feeling that the money that you've worked hard your whole life for no matter where you put it is going to be taken or squandered or lost in some way and you have no recourse and that's the power because it's run by central banks it's run by governments it's run by this financial system from which there's no exit except for bitcoin and that's why bitcoin is so important and that's again another reason why i'm excited to have this conversation because you connect these dots in a way that i've never really heard anyone do before as men, we've been stripped bare of our defenses, um, oh, and, and that yeah. systematically society has has made us defenseless in the in the face of um, uh, processed food, defenseless in the face of sort of woke feminine culture, uh, defenseless in the face of money printing that steals our time. Um, you know, so on and on. There there are these forces that that prevent a man from living his purpose, living his role, um, having his proper uh, sovereign authority as a man. And Bitcoin reverses the bedrock of that. Um, suddenly you can, you can learn something that, that, that you're good at. You can produce value for uh, the world. You can save that effort in Bitcoin. And you know that you're going to be able to retire. You know that you're going to be able to build a life around that, that you have that 
that rock to, to settle on um, that no one can touch. Um, it, it's just, it can't be overstated how critical that is mm-hmm. to, to what it means to be a man. And, um, you know, money printing has undermined every asset class. So, mm-hmm. of course, you can't store your money in the fiat that they're printing, right? If you, um, in the last 18 months, over 80% of all the dollars uh, that it existed have came have been printed, right? So all that extra money is going to make its way into goods and services, um, not evenly, but it will cause inflation in terms of the things that you have to buy to live, the things that you want. So you want a house, you want to be able to pay for education, you want groceries, you want a vehicle. All these things are going to be awash with this brand new money. And that increased competition is going to cause the prices to, to rise. So that's inflation, right? That's how you, you, you ultimately feel it that way. And so if 80% of all the dollars that have ever existed were created in the last 18 months, what's the inflation rate? And it just depends which bucket of goods and services that you take, right? If I just take um, uh, vegetable oil and soy food, you know, it's, the inflation rate is going to be really low because those the marginal cost on those on those fiat products are are extremely low. So, but if I take a a bucket of goods and services of things that we all desire, the inflation rate's probably at forty to sixty percent and has been for two years. Before that, it's probably been between ten to twenty percent, and it has been for decades. So think about that. That means that that fiat money that you earn your salary in, you need to immediately get rid of it immediately because every day that you hold that, it's melting like an ice cube in your hand and, and your time, your effort is, is being stolen every day that you hold those dollars, for example. But now with, with inflation this high, um, there isn't a single investment strategy that can survive it. Right. So if you're doing um, index funds, right, so you move your your wealth into index funds that try and track the broader equity market, those aren't perform. Those do, do not have 20, 30, 40, 50 percent returns. Right. So mm-hmm. if you're, you're, you're losing your time, you're losing your wealth, you're losing your future if you're in index funds. Right. So diversification is no longer enough just to protect, you know, you're protecting your wealth slightly better than dollars. Okay. That that's no good right now. Right. Um, it, and, and so that actually eliminates the whole financial independence retirement, uh, the fire, that whole fire thesis gets destroyed by money printing. Um, if you go into real estate and rental properties, you get absolutely, you know, you're cutting yourself off at the shins with this level of money printing, the inflation so high that you're doing a huge amount of labor, but you're not able to store your wealth. It's still bleeding you. Mm-hmm. Um, this explains why you see people going crazy in Robin Hood trying to pick the stock that will, you know, this fervor of, of stock picking, um, because there's a general um, feeling that there's no way to save right now. So money is sloshing between all these different strategies um, in this highly volatile environment because, because money printing has undermined every asset class. Um, bonds, you know, right now you have sovereigns buying um, more than half of the bonds. Um, no, no one's buying foreign debt. Mostly these countries are buying their own debt. 
Um, including the U.S. now. We buy over half of our own debt. So you wouldn't want to store your wealth in treasuries. Um, in real returns, those are negative. Um, so it's, it's, you know, that's not, that's not a, uh, I, I can't recommend that, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, you, you can't store in dollars. You can't store in equities. You're only left gambling on individual stock picks. That's no good. You can't store in treasuries, bonds. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the problem that we're seeing is when you undermine what money does, it forces everything else to act like money. Everything else has to go on this price, uh, this price discovery. And that's why you see goods and services and, and all other assets, they, they, they start searching for what they're worth. You go in the grocery store, things are searching for what they're worth and they're worth twice of what they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times can people uh, tolerate their bills doubling annually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at uh, the way that countries hyperinflate, I can tell you that it's only a couple of years before you get social unrest and riot, right? People just can't, they can't tolerate their bills doubling twice, three times. And I don't think that that's the case in the US either. I think, um, you know, if eggs double again and your utility bill doubles again and all your bills across the board, everyone's racing to pass the buck because they don't want to pay for inflation. They, they pass it. They pass the buck to the last person. That's the consumer. So how much can the consumer tolerate? So, you know, in this environment, where do you put your money? And that's the, that's the ultimate thing. You're out there working. You want something to show for it. You want to build a life for it, build a family. You can't trust these asset classes because you're being robbed blind. Everything around you that you need is going up in cost. So this is a huge, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a huge quandary. Um, and then, you know, that, that explains the base appeal of Bitcoin. Families are attracted to Bitcoin because they see that there's only 21 million of these things and they can defend themselves from this time theft. Now, of course, Bitcoin within like, you know, it, I've, I always said Bitcoin's like a two plus year asset. You know, so just like as a man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't surround yourself with other guys who are, sh- you know, short term minded. You, you surround yourself with two plus year guys, right? It's the same thing. Bitcoin is a two plus year asset. So within zero to two years, Bitcoin does all sorts of things. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, right. you're, you wouldn't attach your emotions to those things because uh, it's, it's a, a it's, it's a, an asset that's going through monetization. So as it's going through this adoption curve, it's erratic in the zero to two years. But at any point in Bitcoin's existence, it's, it's in the green on a two plus year horizon. So if you simply say, okay, my sacrifice, my effort, my energy, I'm going to store it in Bitcoin, hold it in this little hardware wallet, and um, I'm going to think about it as a two plus year asset. And is it stealing from me or is it giving me my time back on two plus year horizon? And you'll see that it gives you your time back. If you start pricing out the things that you want in your life on a two plus year horizon, house, cars, school, kids, you'll see that they are becoming, they're coming within your gravitational pull. They're becoming more in reach. So you can reverse that decay of inflation. Um, that's, that's hampering the world right now. That's absolutely fundamental. I mean, mm-hmm. that's everything. Um, 
And, and, and so what many do when they get to Bitcoin is they kind of think of it as a savings account. And I, you know what? That makes total sense. You kind of say, okay, money printing broke every other asset class. When I get my paycheck, I'll, I'll pay my, my uh, liabilities, right? My rent or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I will use Bitcoin as a savings account because I have stuff in the future I want. Because I'm man, I'm, I'm building a life. I'm building a family. So I want to know that I can um, have purchasing power in the future. And it's not going to be evaporated by the, this money printing economics that we're, we're living through this peak kind of moment that doesn't look so different than like a, a Weimar. It doesn't look so different than like a Venezuela or Zimbabwe. You know, our politicians are completely addicted now to money printing. They, they think it grows on trees. Um, more money is going to be the answer to um, every problem. And what they don't realize is you can print all the money you want, but you can't print more goods and services. You can't print more physical assets and you can't print more human time. All you can do is steal all that, those things by creating a bunch of money and handing it to insiders who go out and grab the real stuff and bid up the prices on the real things. BlackRock. Well, there you go. BlackRock acting as an arm of, of the Fed, of, of, of a central bank, is um, nationalizing so many things. You know, it's almost like the Japanification of the U.S. They're nationalizing stocks. They're nationalizing homes. You know, mm-hmm. the... the the globalist thesis, the great reset, where they say you will own nothing and be happy. If you were wondering as to how that would occur, you know, you could debase the money using money printing, debase people's times. And as they get financially desperate, you can use money printing to relieve them of their hard assets. Mm-hmm. So, at the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, th- th- there's a, um, there's a, uh, a parallel in Weimar Germany. Prices started going up, went, started going up so fast that people became speculators. Everyone did because they thought they were getting rich. That they actually sold their houses and sold all their hard goods for paper money. They thought, you know, I'm a gajillionaire now. <laughs> but when it, when the the confidence in government money ha- had uh, completely fell through the bottom they found that they were holding these notes and they no longer had homes. They no longer had physical assets, right? And so, um, you know, I caution people kind of getting into the, the, the dollar fervor, you know, as inflation on their houses is going up. I've seen people get into the housing market because they're taking that as a signal of flourishing when it, mm-hmm. it's not, it's a signal of the money breaking. And there's a very dangerous end game where you hold a bunch of money that does, doesn't buy anything and you no longer have hard assets. So, okay, so I want, to, I want to talk about, there's so many different directions I want to go right now, but at the risk of being super remedial, what I, what I would like you to do is I would like you to take the things that you just said about storing your time, no asset classes for investment and all that, and I want you to tie it, please, directly to masculinity. For the man listening to this who might be like, what does this, what does this have to do with me as a man? I'm listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. What does all this mean to me? you know, about inflation, et cetera, and, and asset classes and reset. What does it mean to me as a man? Can you tie that thread? Because I want to go super remedial with this so that guys who don't know anything about Bitcoin or anything about the financial market or about fiat or anything like that understand why we are talking about you, man, who's listening. So if you could tie that thread real quick. We're fundamental 
responsibility as a man is to provide. Mm-hmm. You provide a attractive and stable lifestyle for your mate, for your woman, for your family. If you cannot, so you can hustle all you want. You can have side gigs, but if you have no way to take that effort and hold on to it in a way that it can't be taken from you, you don't have anything. Your your entire purview is being illegitimized. And that is numero uno. That's the most important thing as men that we have to think about. Because if you can't provide, you know, what what is your value if your ability to provide is is being irreversibly undermined by money printing? You know, you can hustle, you can build great health, you can build a a confident and inspirational lifestyle that attracts women. But if you can't hold on to any of your value and, and, and you don't know if you're going to be able to provide, then the value proposition for men is completely undermined. And instead, what's left is this welfare state because people get attracted into the government because it, it appears to be the only thing that can provide stability. Well, we need to take that back as men. Men need to be the thing that provides stability, heads of households. And so I, I contend that Bitcoin is a bedrock for that, that actually reverses that trend of the state absorbing the responsibility of head of household. It, it, it sends it back in the direction of men who can actually, with confidence, provide value for the world, save it in an unstoppable way and then provide for women and children. Bang. Bang. I mean, that's, this is what's real to every man I think is listening to this right now is they're feeling the world kind of getting away from them. And there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons why, but I think one of the most fundamental and primary that men of kind of all ages maybe not economic classes, maybe, but all ages and and most economic classes feel anyway, is that something is slipping away that they can't get, they can't grab onto. And it sounds like the answer to that, which, which I would agree is money, at least in part, at least in part. And, and uh, the great thing about Bitcoin that I've discovered is it actually, and, and you nailed it. It allows you to not only just hold on, hold on to your money, hold on to the value that you've created it actually allows you to expand it in a positive way against a world where the value of money is decreasing. It's, it's going the, it's Bitcoin is going the opposite direction from the world. And on top of that bedrock, on top of that proper functioning of money, you have the only potential to build a life sovereign from what uh, the corporate state, the fascist, you know, although that word is so overused, the corporate state alliance seems to be trying to take. And, and so I'm glad that you tied those threads because this makes it super relevant. Like Bitcoin isn't just this nerdy technology or whatever. And it's like, it's, it's completely separate from what you might've heard of about crypto or NFTs. It's, that's just all noise in the, in the actual Bitcoin signal, which is not just this thing that isn't relevant. It's not just this computer thing. It's actually a way to save your time. It's a way to save your family. It's a way to build a future for yourself away from the fiat system. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful that you were able to, to thread that because men need to hear that. Like that's, that's almost 
That's what, I, that's what I like about all the things that I've learned from you is it's, it's almost the last piece. Like you've asked all the questions, you've asked the questions about fitness and you've asked questions about soy and sunlight and, and, and beef and, and all that stuff. And yet there's still the question of, okay, I'm spending eight, 10, 12 hours a day working. Why is everything getting so expensive? Why am I working harder for less? And the answer is the fiat system. And the response to that is Bitcoin. But I think a lot of men haven't gotten that place yet. And so I'm excited to, to get to lead them there. One way to think about what we've been living through is, okay, when the government... So, so this money printing economics, it creates cycle. We all know of the short-term business cycle, the, 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 the small business cycle, um, because we've all seen like Occupy Wall Street where they're doing... You know, you have these booms and busts, these recessions where, oh, now you need to bail out the banks, you need to bail out Freddie and Fannie. And people get really upset because the, the inherent unfairness of that, the idea, why are these big uh, uh, multinational corporations getting bailed out um, with our money, right? Because what they do is they print money, they hand it to these, com- these companies because they're too big to fail, right? And then our expenses, our kids' college, our retirement, our groceries, our vehicles, our homes, all the things we want to buy become more expensive because they've diluted our purchasing power. Just like when you own a stock, everyone knows, you know, you own a stock, uh, when they announce that they're diluting it 10 to 1, um, people sell because they went, what the heck? You've essentially just stolen, um, you've stolen my ownership stake by just creating more of these things. There's nothing a finite about this. You can make as many as you want. So people sell to punish the company because because they're you know they're, they've been you know robbed from. And um, same thing, money printing um, is that same dynamic. And 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 so you get these little bubbles where they they use money printing to grow industry, to grow insiders uh, uh, companies, and then you get a recession because of it. But in the greater scale, there's there's a bigger debt cycle that they can't even manage in that way. And, 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 and so you end up with this, this like sovereign default where your entire country is broke. Um, they cannot even service the debt um, uh, on their own balance sheets. And so that puts a country in a really uh, crazy, a really tough spot because they have to either, uh, they have to ha- either have like, Austerity, which is, you know, they, they pull their belt in and, and reduce spending, which that's not politically possible. There's no government on earth that says, okay, we're going to cut our spending by a factor of 100. Right. You can't do that. Um, so the other option is, and, and that's kind of like, um, they, they, they try and avoid default, you know, by saving and, and being fiscally responsible. And that's off the table. You know, history has shown over and over that that's not something governments are willing to do. Mm-hmm. And then you're left with default and you can either default explicitly. So you could say, sorry, we can't pay our bills and your credit score gets downgraded and the, and the world punishes you and um, you might end up in a war. And, and uh, you know, so that's like an explicit default or you could default implicitly, um, which is to say you can just print money to pay for the bills. And, 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 and in that way, you're almost defaulting inwardsly, meaning everyone that, that, that lives on that currency gets, uh, um, how, how do I even say this nicely? They steal your family's life savings to bail out the country through money printing. Okay. So you're made poor 
so that the, the country can default implicitly. Um, it can just shrink its bills by creating so many monetary units that the bills aren't that expensive anymore. Um, but in doing so, no one has any assets left. Everyone's poor. You know, you get famine and, and this type of thing. So, um, you know, you, you look at the trajectory of the West, we're, you know, we're, we're a people that we're used to money printing, we're addicting, addicted to it. I don't see us pulling the belt in. Yeah. Um, you know, I see us heating up the money printer and I think 30, we're, we're on track for 30 trillion <laughs> this year. I mean, it's, it's, uh, these numbers are, uh, the, the type of numbers that can keep bills doubling every year. Yeah. Um, because when, you know, when, by the end of this year, if they've printed 90% of all the dollars in two years, that has to make its way in, into the real economy in the form of rising prices. You know, if, if all the wealth that we had as a people only represents 10% of the wealth suddenly, what do you think that does to your purchasing power? And what investment strategy can compete with that? Right? Um, there isn't a single one except for Bitcoin. Bitcoin's the only thing that um, every four years it's doing 1,000%. So it's, it's adding a zero to your, to your wealth in dollar terms every four years. That, and... and not to say that's making you a baron or a king. It merely, that's more of a statement about dollars than it is Bitcoin, right? You're, you're holding your time in terms of sats in Bitcoin. That's the smallest unit. There's, there's, um, and that's steady. That's a stable unit. No one's printing any more sats. There's only 21 million total Bitcoin. Um, and I think 90% have already been mined. Okay, so we're, you know, most of the Bitcoin that will ever exist, exists now. You store your time in, in, in sats and there's not going to be this rapid debasement that you see with dollars. Every four years since Bitcoin has existed, um, there's been roughly um, a thousand percent uh, increase in purchasing power in dollar terms. So like, just for example, if I, if I put $100,000 in Bitcoin four years ago, um, today it'd be worth a million dollars, right? So I'm adding a zero. And in four years, it'd be 10 million. And in uh, eight years, it'd be 100 million. Now that sounds like a lot in today's dollars, but in eight years at the rate that they're printing dollars, <laughs> oh God, right? Um, you know, well, let me put it this way. Venezuela had the most millionaires on earth <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in Venezuelan uh, currency terms. Yeah. That wasn't a good thing, right? <laughs> that was a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and so if you had $100 million in 2030 in dollar terms, we might all recognize by then that, you know, that buys, you know, that, you know, who knows what that will buy. I, um, but if, if, if bills double every year, you, you kind of get the sense of what I'm saying. Now, is that keeping up with inflation? It, it is. And, it's, and, it's, and then some. And the reason is because the whole world is sort of realizing that they can defend their time with, um, with Bitcoin. They can defend themselves, their families from inflation. So if you're earlier on that adoption curve, of course, you get the benefit of you know, there's trillions of dollars parked in unproductive assets that are, are going to have an identity crisis this decade and need to find something that's productive. 
So if you're ahead of all those assets, then you kind of benefit from the um, from, from being right earlier, right? You, you benefit from people agreeing with you later. Um, but at the same time, that's not the core thesis, right? The core thesis is that it will hold your purchasing power. And um, so in these times where money printing is so high, you need something that adds a zero to your net worth every four years. That's mm-hmm. the only way to compete bills doubling every four years. And that's kind of the thing that I'm trying uh, to get across to men is that, um, you know, fire and rentals and bonds and equities, um, everything outside of speculative trading where some people have done okay, but that's an insider's game and you can lose your short. It's a short-term game. You play with short-term people. Bitcoin is the only long-term game. You play with other long-term people it's supposed to be a forever savings account. And the world is kind of waking up to that thesis exactly as they're being, as their life savings is being stolen to bail out a broke world. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's make this real. Let's make this concrete. So talk a little bit about your journey, when and how you discovered Bitcoin, how you looked at things before then, and then the role that Bitcoin plays in your life personally now in the life of your family. Yes. So let's see. By trade, I was a software engineer. I spent about 15 years building the front and back of tech companies. Um, Household names, you would know them. Um, I launched a few uh, startups myself. I've seen tiny companies fail. I've seen big big companies succeed. Um, So, you know, I kind of came up in this progressive world of software, um, surrounded by liberals. and and it was saw a lot and and um you know despite being very close to easy money in silicon valley we benefit from tons of easy you know cheap access to capital mm-hmm. um and so it, it you know it's it's very it's a very um uh privileged place to be in terms of the cantillon effect the cantillon effect is as they create money as they print it who gets access to it first Mm-hmm. Um, and so the software industry is very close to the money printer um, because it's, it's, a dr- it's a driver of growth and, and governments need growth to hide their time theft behind. So, if you, you know, the whole game breaks. If you don't have a bunch of growth to point at and to, and to show that um, uh, GDP is going up, then, then you can't grow debt. Right. It's when the it's when the um, the the sovereign debt to GDP ratio gets out of control that you get a world war, um, which is, you know, we're at levels higher than uh, World War Two right now, mm-hmm. um, which explains the last two years. But so as we'll, we'll uh, you get, know, we'll I'm working, in, we will. I was working in software and I was, you know, with my wife, we were planning when I would retire. We were planning on a family. And I noticed um, that that number kept getting bigger. And I started to question, like, I started to get a chip on my shoulder realizing, you know, if I can't make this work, if I can't get a house and retire and and start a family, if I'm having trouble doing that as a software engineer, you know, making, um, you know, deep into six figures, if we couldn't do that, how is anyone else doing it? And I started asking questions like, why is it that... um, you know, why is this? And, and, and that led me into um, economics and understanding money printing. And I had some peers who were 
into Bitcoin. And they said, you know, you, you really need to look at this. Um, I brushed them off and that was years ago. Um, it must have been 2015, 2016. I brushed them off. Most of most engineers did. Most software engineers brushed Bitcoin off. I think we're so used to developing these distributed systems within the context of trusted environments like a corporation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're at Google and you're building out their system, the way that you develop those systems, they don't need to account for adversarial programs, right? You have, you know, if you're building Google's database, for example, all the the nodes within that database trust each other. And that lets you write highly efficient consensus algorithms. Um, and so when we saw Bitcoin, we just thought, wow, that, was, that looks like the most inefficient, the most expensive database ever conceived. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we were right. We were right. It's, it's, it's a terrible database for a trusted environment. Um, but it's, it's the first adversarial database that can stand attacks from nation states. And you need that if you're going to have a, you know, rules without rulers, monies without government. Yep. Um, and, and, but if, you know, if you are in an industry that benefits from money printing, you have a blind spot. And so I, at first, just disregarded Bitcoin. It wasn't until 2018 when I had a chip that had matured on my shoulder uh, about um, time theft when I started realizing like, you know, I started to get grumpy because I was like, Hey, I want it to be done in a, I want it to be done in like five more years, not 15 more years. And I started to get upset, annoyed at that, um, that I, you know, I had a peer that said, you really should look at Bitcoin. And I remember thinking that, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I thought that was dead. And that's what most people think, like, didn't that die? And <laughs> And so I had a second look and I, I went deeper into it. And, and I, I realized there was something there. I realized, you know, just like uh, torrents when, when, were threatened the, the movie industry when, and music industry, people realized they could just run this little torrent software. And that was enough that no one could stop the world from distributing files. You, you, no government on earth could stop it. The best they could do is put like this FBI warning on the beginning of a movie. <laughs> like that was it. That's all they had. Yeah. Um, and I realized Bitcoin was kind of like that for money that, that, um, it, you know, any single person with a computer could run the software and everyone that did made it that much harder to stop it. It was, it was this, 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 um, it's almost like a, um, like a mold that grows in your house. Like if you do not in order to eliminate a, a mold in your house, you would need to eliminate every single piece of it because it doesn't have a center, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, right? It can grow back from any one point. So if you had just a handful of molecules of mold that you didn't eliminate, you come back in six months and it's back. So yeah. the only way to eliminate it is to eliminate all of it. And um, because of the way that it has no center and it reproduces. And I kind of saw that in torrents Torrents is the same way. Like it, you could eliminate ninety nine point nine percent of it and come back, and still the the entirety of the music and and video industry would be back on the internet in like a couple months, right? Yeah. And it's like okay, but uh, you know that. So so the the policing of that is is outrageously expensive to the point of it it, it doesn't work and it failed. Um, 
And, and I thought that Bitcoin had that quality. It was like, okay, there's no center here. Anyone can join this network. And the more people that do, the more costly it became to police. And I started to ask questions like, okay, can this be shut down? And I realized that very quickly it would become as, you know, as expensive to shut Bitcoin down as it would to shut the internet down. Mm-hmm. And as I followed it forward, I realized that not soon after that, it would become more expensive to shut Bitcoin down than shutting the internet down. Um, mm. And that you, you couldn't shut down 99% of it and succeed. You would have to shut down all of it, which, which is, the, it's, it's tantamount to sending um, men with guns to every house on earth, right? Like it's, 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 you, you can't actually do it. it. It fundamentally inverts the power dynamic such that the government has no better chance to stop the Bitcoin network um, than it did. You know, it, it, it's kind of like firearms proliferation. When every family has firearms, um, they can't really persecute individuals anymore. They can't go into every house because that, you know, that is the governed. So it would just uh, result in the toppling of the, of the government itself if they went into every house, you know, like uh, like um, like the Nazis did, searching for, you know, do you have guns in in here? So it, it's kind of the same dynamic, but on the world stage, right? Like one country can't go into every house in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I started to kind of realize how big this was. I started to realize this is going to be bigger than the internet because this, this, this was a unstoppable network that you could move your time to. And suddenly these central banks couldn't access it. These governments couldn't access it. And everything we've lost in terms of being able to build families, um, we were going to get back and all the things that man had lost, you know, we've, had our role eroded by any state, eroded by um, sort of feminine totalitarianism. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I saw in Bitcoin this, this incredible masculine force that was going to invert that and return the power back to people, you know, men who could work, store their time in Bitcoin. You hold those keys, you hold those 12 words, those 24 words um, to your, your seed phrase. Um, you memorize it, you write it down. They can't go into every house on earth looking for 24 words and attempt to, you know, they just can't do it. And so it really, it changes everything. It's, it's, it's groundbreaking. And um, so, so I did what a lot of people did at first. I kind of, I started going down, they call it the rabbit hole, the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, and I, I started learning how to save in Bitcoin. And so I, I found out, okay, every paycheck I can take, you know, 20% or whatever, and put it in Bitcoin. And this was 2018. And at first I just did it with some website, some exchange. Um, I think it was river.com is what I was using. But like Coinbase is really popular in the US. You get the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started buying Bitcoin there and just, I held it on that website. And as I got into Bitcoin culture, there's like a, a big Bitcoin Twitter space. I learned from more mature Bitcoiners that like, hey, kind of the whole point of Bitcoin is that there's no counterparty, that you hold the wealth yourself and you decide when and where you send that Bitcoin, how you spend it. And no one can tell you, you know, you don't have to ask permission to hold and and spend your wealth and no one can prevent you from doing it. 
And so what they preached was take the, that Bitcoin off that state, off that exchange and put it in a wallet that you control. Then I learned that part and I'm like, okay, great. So now I hold the keys. I, I choose how to spend this Bitcoin. And I also realized at that point, the implication, like, um, you know, I could, for the first time ever, you could leave your country with all your wealth, mm-hmm. right? No one could stop you. Um, think of the implications of that in like, um, imagine if you were a Jewish family in, in Nazi Germany, World War II, and you saw the rise of this, this persecution, um, you saw the, the shape of an oncoming genocide, right? Mm-hmm. You had to leave, you had to leave uh, with nothing, right? You would be stripped of everything if you tried to flee Germany. So now imagine you could just remember 12 words and go anywhere in the world with your, the entirety of your family saving. Think about what that means to being a man. Mm-hmm. That guarantee, that confidence, that cool confidence that you have um, in that, that y- your, your life savings can never be expropriated, that you can have multi-generational life savings. You could actually build a family house. You can think of your family name on the order of centuries now that you have that skill that ability and that's that's what bitcoin's giving us um and so i think it just it radically changed by the, the the autonomy and power i believed i had as a man and and once i had this bitcoin in a, in a wallet that i held that i secured um and and i think wasn't long after that was 2018 and it, it it had such a profound effect on my ideology that um i started to shift towards sort of conservative conservatism mm. um because i realized that the, the people that i was surrounded with in the city in tech that these weren't my people that it in a weird way it, it inverted my my value system because um suddenly i had this this unstoppable savings mechanism that put a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where before I was tagging along with the state, tagging along with this industry, benefiting from it. Suddenly I was building a household. Suddenly I was responsible and it, and it made me appreciate personal responsibility in a way that I never truly had. And um, that changed me. That changed me. And, 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 and thank God, because when 2020 hit and this COVID hysteria really was unleashed, um, I, had, I had like that foundation um, of realizing that, uh, you know, the way is through personal responsibility. The way is not through collectivism and, and the pathology of that. Um, and, 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 and like that, that's kind of, what got me down this road and you know i say to my wife we always talk about this that in good times the city is really it's really cool i mean you know you got a bunch of different people and different cultures it's this melting pot you have all this food it's great to go out but in bad times um the city is is gnarly and the same thing is true of, of progressives like in good times i thought progressives were like fine i was like they're you know i was like okay a lot of stuff i appreciated but in bad times they lost their friggin' minds fast <laughs> fast um, and it was scary i mean the covid thing it really did um that kind of mass formation psychosis yeah that that's not a joke that's real and yeah. it and it really took the left um 
it really took hold on the left. And so, you know, I, I just counted myself as, as I didn't fit in in the tech industry anymore. I didn't fit in, fit in amongst my peers. Uh, every day I just realized these are not my people. And um, so I made this, this NIM uh, in 2020, Blazor Hoddle on Bitcoin Twitter and started networking and soul searching and learning uh, who I was um, in the light of this new value system. And, and um, it's been an awesome journey. And, and uh, I became glued to COVID because um, I realized something bigger was going on. Uh, there were too many just logical fallacies and, and overt omissions that didn't make any sense. Um, that there's something, there had to be something bigger to explain it. Um, the fact that like ivermectin was uh, suppressed. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the fact of this, this uh, the, all the tech companies suddenly were going from this kind of casual corporate, um, this like corporate wokeism, this corporate activism to suddenly taking a more like formal, um, dance with the government, like this, you know, this cozying up to the government, almost like, um, courting the government in a weird way. I found that to be really strange. Um, the, 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 the kind of just denial that this of the lab leak that didn't make any sense to me. Um, uh, seeing BlackRock step up and start buying housing. I'm like, that didn't make any sense. Um, the degree of money printing and what they were doing with the money printing, it didn't make any sense to me. So I knew, I knew there was something much bigger. And it's when I started looking at um, the balance sheets of our countries that I realized um, when, when the, uh, the, the sovereign debt to GDP ratio gets out of hand, meaning you have far more debt than GDP, um, you, you know, since the fiat system began in um, 40 years ago, since, since the, the, the formalized banking uh, strategy of debasement, mm-hmm. inflation began in the late 1600s, there's a trend where when debt gets out of control, you end up with global calamity and then they reset the balance sheets. It's almost like a monopoly game that breaks. You have to look to the banker and say, what now? And, mm-hmm. and the banker goes, okay, here's what I got for you. We're going we're gonna to perform surgery to the, to the balance sheets. Then we're going to reset the game and start over. Yeah. And I noticed that in the last 400 years, that's happened over and over. And um, in 1971, Nixon uh, took the U.S. off the gold standard. So for the first time ever, our money became completely untethered from anything sound. It literally just became paper. Um, and uh, ever since then, er, er, you know, the, the cost of goods and services has gone parabolic. It's essentially a hockey stick that we're now in the steepest part of the curve. Um, the, the purchasing power of the dollar is down well over 99% in, in that time. And um, to, to put it, like, frankly, um, we're in the greatest sovereign default of all time right now. Yeah. And it's, it, the world monetary system is so interconnected that it's 
every country on earth is broke and can't afford its servicing its own debt. Um, and so I, I think that actually is a better explanation for uh, what we've seen in the last two years is that uh, our, our countries are broke and they're backed up to a wall and they need to perform the very dangerous business of monetary reset, resetting the entire world monetary system. And uh, if the past is any lesson, then what the state needs to do is, is have the world um, essentially in like a lockdown with curfews mm-hmm. while they perform that reset. Um, does that make sense? It makes far too much sense, which is, which is what I love about it. Um, and I, I want to get, I want to get to what's going on sociopolitically, but real quick, cause I've listened to you on some of the other podcasts, what role, how, how does Bitcoin show up in the way that you manage your finances now? So you, so you started, you know, say in 2015, 2016 as a software engineer in tech, and you dismissed Bitcoin when it came your way, much like I did at the time. Um, it just seemed like too complicated. I couldn't really get into it. I definitely had a friend who was asking questions about reality, who was talking to it, talking about it to his friends. I was like, I just don't have the mental energy to get into this right now. Um, to and, and to a realization of what was happening in the larger socioeconomic, geopolitical kind of environment, and understanding the way that your the the fruits of your labor as a man, as you said, in the deep six figures, was being taken from you in retirement instead of being. I mean, you know, I, I lived in in Northern California. I worked in tech as well. I did my own startup years ago. So I've I've seen this process. And you're right. There's so much easy money there. The only place that there might be slightly easier money is in Hollywood right now, where they seem to have billions of dollars to throw <laughs> to just pour down an, an endless hole of propaganda. But definitely, there's so much easy money there. And to see your own labors, you know, at what sounds like a pretty high level taken from f- a five-year horizon of retirement to 15 years, like what a crushing, what a crushing feeling that must be. And so to begin to ask questions and to find that Bitcoin provides so many answers, what role does it hold? Like, how does it actually actualize? I know the answer to this question, but I want men to hear it so they can understand just what you can do with Bitcoin, not just as a, not just as something you throw in a wallet and, and put away, but as a way that you can actually live. And I want to just tie those threads and then we'll go on from there into talking about the larger issues of monetary reset, reset which I think are so important. Yeah, so let's see. I, I was saving in Bitcoin every check and um, I think of my Hold on, you're breaking up a little bit. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's better. Okay, so I was saving in Bitcoin every check, and I had, and I just thought of it as a piggy bank. And once I got comfortable, I increased the amount that I was saving until um, I became more learned. And I, I, I kind of came to this place that I realized that the world monetary system is is extremely dysfunctional and (laughs) it's a kind way of putting it there's probably like a hundred trillion dollars of like conservatively speaking like a hundred trillion dollars of wealth that's simply looking to preserve its value that's invested in various activities attempting to do so um real estate bonds treasuries equities but at the end of the day it all it all wants has the same goal. It, it just doesn't want to be, it wants to be preserved. 
Okay. Um, and so it's, it's across the spectrum where it's, it's all this wealth is being fancy as it can to survive inflation. Mm-hmm. And as I became more comfortable with Bitcoin, I, I started to wonder, like, you know, when I held Bitcoin, it was, it was once I had secured it in a wallet and I would buy it every check and I would transfer those sats into my wallet. And it was easy. I mean, I realized um, at no cost, once I had built this muscle memory, this knowledge, at no cost to myself, I was able to preserve my wealth and, and furthermore benefit from the idea that, um, that Bitcoin was still in this speculative monetization phase, right? Where many other in the world had not figured that out, right? They had not figured out that um, they were doing all this extra work, this extremely labor-intensive work to preserve their work wealth. And I wasn't doing that. I was simply holding coin in a wallet. And I could put all my energy into earning power. I didn't mm-hmm. have to, I know, and I, and I kind of realized, okay, this savings account I have with Bitcoin is beating everything else I do. <laughs> it's beating my index fund. It's yeah. beating my stock picks. It's beating, um, it's, it's beating my side hustles, right? And so then I said, okay, well, you know, I started doing projecting math forward, looking at Bitcoin's history and just thinking through, like, you know, if I, if I had a trillion dollars and I, and I was um, the lead of, of, of a capital fund, you know, how much more efficient would it be to simply park that in Bitcoin? If our aim is to hold, you know, is to have a guarantee that that wealth is not going anywhere, um, and, can it, and, and that it would stand up against inflation, you know, why wouldn't I simply put it in Bitcoin and call it a day? There was a, I yeah. realized this massive labor difference between all the fancy things we do to try and save money because we can't save it in fiat. So we have to, we're all investors. We're all competing with each other. And I realized that there's a massive opportunity there because um, if you're like Apple, for example, you have like a billion dollars of cash that that just got cut in half (laughs) in terms of what you could buy with it, right? Yeah. They, They need that to be liquid so they have access to purchasing power. Why isn't that in Bitcoin? Because th- there isn't a market that's more liquid than Bitcoin in terms of immediately being able to have access to purchasing power. And, and Apple's held that for five, five plus years, right? So they're not spending it within the two plus year horizon or, or zero to two year horizon. So it, it's, um, I, I started to realize that, you know, conservatively, you know, Bitcoin's at like a one one trillion dollar market cap right now, and that um, there was at least a hundred trillion dollars worth of wealth that that was uh, uh, doing too much labor in too sophisticated of ways and still failing to preserve its value. Mm-hmm. And now that money printing was getting really steep, um, that it would make its way into Bitcoin because, um, well, math, right? Because of math and and. and, and and so gradually I kind of went where I got to this place that I was like, why do I have other investments? Why, why do I have, and I kept thinking, you know, the age old um, wisdom of diversification. Um, but what, what really made me second guess that was um, this growing idea that um, Bitcoin is money and there's nothing more you know, money is the optionality of everything else, right? So if I have, if all I had was money, I have nothing but option, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And so there's nothing more diverse than money uh, in, in the sense that I can access any good and service with it. Um, and so if my thesis was growing in conviction that Bitcoin was becoming money in, in the eyes of the world because of this effortless um, uh, uh, mechanism that stores your value and that everyone would eventually come in, then why do I have parts of my wealth pretending to, because I knew it wasn't actually succeeding in equities and real estate. I knew it was actually losing purchasing power as inflation was steepening because I knew that the CPI that they told everyone, 2% or whatever, was a lie because you could engineer the bucket. So all I had to do was make my own bucket of the things I cared to buy. And it revealed that my CPI, because everyone has their own CPI of on different time horizons of goods and services you want to buy. My CPI was like 25% before 2020. And after 2020, it was like 60%. So that means the half-life on your wealth, regardless of where you're parking it, is getting, is, is getting exponentially smaller. Meaning the chances that you'll be able to buy any of those things a decade from now disappeared in 2020. Um, and, and, and so most, you know, most people are so caught up and confused with COVID, they don't realize what's happening to them from a money point of view. Yeah. Um, and they don't realize the gravity of this situation. But I, I started to realize it uh, in 2018. And, and between 2018 and 2020, I went from a position of saving in Bitcoin to having every single, uh, the entirety of my monetary energy in Bitcoin, every investment I'd moved over. And so I was essentially 99% Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, uh, but I still, you know, I would, I would get my paycheck, I would pay off my, my bills, right? And then whatever is left would go into Bitcoin. So that's kind of where I was in, in 2020. Um, and uh, that really changed my experience, my life, my lived experience, because what I felt was everyone around me, their, uh, the, the cost of living for them was going up at a steeper and steeper pace. Mine was going down at a steeper and steeper pace. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had to deal with the zero to two year Bitcoin, you know, and that turns you into a grisly failure <laughs> because um, zero yeah. to two year Bitcoin is, you know, it's overtly up and down. So you, you emotionally, that will turn you into a Buddhist monk because you have to learn to live with that. Yeah. But the two plus year Bitcoin is, is actually, um, you know, if you look at like the 200 or 300 weekly moving average of Bitcoin, which just eliminates the topsoil, like it eliminates all that, that short-term movement, you see that it's just this, um, this linear growth on the, the logarithmic scale, which is to say it's growing exponentially, which is what every technology company on earth experiences um, who, who succeed. So like Facebook has this exponential growth curve. Um, and, and that visualize, you wouldn't be able to visualize it on a normal chart because the, 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 um, the growth is so steep that um, it wouldn't make any sense. It would look like a straight up line. Um, but, if you, <laughs> yeah. but if you look at it on a logarithmic chart, which is specially designed to, um, to, to visualize exponential growth, you'll see that it's this, this kind of this nice, um, nice gradual curve that looks very linear from the bottom left to the top right on the logarithmic scale. And, and um, it actually prints a big S curve, which is to say, you know, which is a nice way of saying that the whole world essentially loaded into Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the whole internet world loaded into Facebook. 
And Bitcoin is showing, you know, it's still at the bottom of an S-curve, but it's showing the same, um, the same uh, uh, characteristic, which is a, a, um, an S-curve being printed on the logarithmic scale as the whole world realizes they need a way to defend their family's life savings from inflation. And, and so that, that's where I ended up. I ended up uh, in 2020 that I was um, 99% into Bitcoin. Um, and then recently I started asking myself, like, why, why even make the pit stop in dollars, right? Why get paid in dollars? And then, and then um, after everything's said and done, um, you know, sweep into Bitcoin. Um, and and, and I, I started doing math on it. And this is a little bleeding edge, but... Um, I started asking, like, could I just live on zero dollars, right? Could I just, could I just um, live in a way where I'm 100, percent you know, I'm kind of like a Bitcoin citizen, and then you know, it, I, I, I'm in the United States, so yeah, I'll convert to the local currency when I just pay a bill or something. Um, could I ascend beyond my nation state currency? And, I, and the math was good. Um, the, to me, the math showed that on a zero to two year scale. Sometimes my bills would be more expensive than others, um, but sometimes it would be cheaper. And on a two plus uh, on a two plus year time frame, um, it would always be uh, uh, cheaper. And 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 not even uh, in a small way, like in a very very large significant way, my mortgage, my groceries, and everything that I all my expenses would become cheaper. So as long as I could be a two plus year guy and think in that way, in in in, in that long time horizon. Um, that that it would actually make sense to not even have dollars in a checking account, and so um, I, I've been playing with a, a, a service called Level uh, LVL.co. It's just a seed startup out of Austin, so they're they're really nascent. But the whole idea is they give me a checking account, and I just choose whether the uh, whether the monetary energy is stored in dollars or Bitcoin, and you can do everything that you can, you know want with a checking account. So I can like go to the ATM, or I can send a wire transfer, or I can do an ACH, or um, and so all the things you expect from a bank in the, in the fiat world. Um, except I just hold that value in Bitcoin, and, and so um, and they support like um, uh, direct deposit. So you know, in in a, in a funny way, like you can get a a job negotiated in dollar terms, but you can still have yourself paid in Bitcoin um, mm-hmm. because you could just pay. Never hold dollars. Always hold Bitcoin in this in this Bitcoin bank. And um, and what I found is, as it's grown, I just you know, as it's grown in purchasing power, I just offload some of those sats to my my offline wallet, so that it's not all sitting inside that bank. And and so it's been like a couple months, and I've been living off Bitcoin, like as a Bitcoin citizen. And and yeah, so far the thesis is holding strong. I, I think we're going to see more. Com- Competitors enter this space of like, how do normal people just live on Bitcoin and just check out of the dollar system? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. And uh, but 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 like in in regards to like recommendations of specific solutions, I would say never trust anyone w- without doing your own footwork. Like Level is this brand new startup, so I'm taking a risk on them. They could just fail, right, and take yeah. my checking account with them. So do your own footwork and, 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 uh, never take, you know, anything on face value. Don't trust me, trust, uh, trust yourself and, and build your own thesis. But what I will say is the, the math is very, 
good. You know, the same math that says that your saving accounts can grow exponentially and therefore outpace inflation, um, that logic can be applied to uh, your checking. The big trade-off is that um, as you spend, you, you know, Bitcoin is property. It's like a stock, right? Mm -hmm. So if you held all your value in Apple, well, you had to sell some Apple to, to buy groceries, right? Yeah. And that's a taxable event. So you have to account for that and you have to pay taxes on it. And so um, like the way that I do it is I just put all my expenses on a credit card. My household does. And then once a month, I turn some Bitcoin into some dollars, pay off the credit card. Um, and at the end of the year, I'll have like 12 taxable events. Level auto generates a form. So I just upload that to TurboTax and if I made money in dollar terms, it's like, okay, I sell a little more Bitcoin and pay the tax. Um, that to me is better than um, being in the dollar system as we get closer to a fallout of confidence in government money. Um, especially when you consider like in Venezuela, um, you know, there's an inflection point where people, you would receive bolivars for your work, right? You would like race to the grocery store to buy all your groceries at once because the because that would get you more groceries than if you waited the next day because your money was losing value so quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, if, if, if you were a Venezuelan and you learned to live on dollars back then, yeah, that would have been really smart. <laughs> that would have been really smart. And even if you had a, a tax headache because of it, it still would have been net smart because um, when, hi when hyperinflation sets in, you don't even want to hold that local currency for hours. Right? <laughs> right. Because holding it for hours can rob you of, you know, you get paid every four weeks. You hold that fiat currency for hours because you're like, you're going to pay your bills and buy things and then save. You could get robbed in that window. <laughs> That's yeah. the point. It, and so that it's just that thinking ported over as as the the United States loses dollar hegemony. I think we'll have the same inflection point where, you know, holding dollars for days or weeks or hours can punish you. So if you can, you know, I, I started to think like, okay, the, the the best time to learn to live on Bitcoin would be before um, my local currency collapsed, um, and, and so. You know, I, I'm kind of at the end of the Bitcoin progression and, and I don't necessarily recommend people start there. But what I would say is, is like, start where I started. Like if you get your feet wet saving with Bitcoin and you realize and, and just watch it, watch the performance over a couple of years, um, you're going to realize that um, nothing really can compete with it in ease, in appreciation in security in terms in terms of like the absolute list of, of knowing that it, it no one can do any no one can access it but you no one can debase it no one can print it um it doesn't have a government it doesn't need a government it actually takes money away the ability to create money away from the government you know the same kind of value proposition of separating religion and state it kind of separates money and state um, and as a man, that's important, right? You want a, you don't want a government that's becoming more and more tyrannical, reaching deeper and deeper into our lives. You actually want it to get thinner, leaner. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you want the government to look like a services provider that does some self-defense and that's about it, right? You don't really, yeah. you don't, you don't really want it to become what it's becoming. And so there's a justice element to it too, because not only was it just better math, right? Like it, it, it brought my retirement age back to where it was supposed to be, right? It, it gave me a guarantee about the future because I knew there would only be 21 million Bitcoin. And as the whole world's losing their mind, printing trillions and trillions of banknotes that my wealth was stored in this digital scarcity. But I also knew that as more people woke up, it would actually, in, it would actually deteriorate the ability for the government to steal people's life savings. And if everyone woke up, theoretically, you wouldn't even be able to print money because you would have no customers that wanted it. Mm-hmm. So in this weird way, we're giving the government its power because we're conducting our lives in its fake money. <laughs> well said. Well said. Well, so, oh God, there, again, there's, there's a thousand different directions to, to go with this, but I think... I'm 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 curious about the period of time in your life where it sounds like a couple things were happening at once. Like as you were moving from having all of your income and all of your savings and dollars, you transitioned to now being a hundred percent in Bitcoin. And it sounds like there were some sticking points where because I think we all go through this as men in our in our waking up process of things that things that are so familiar and seem so right but that we have to learn to let go of because we see the injustice or the flaws or the dysfunction in, burned into it. So for example, I had a man on my podcast named Matt Bodro, and he, he runs um, uh, an Acton Academy, which is like a decentralized kind of charter school thing. And what he deals with with parents is parents being so resistant to taking their kids out of what they know is the failing public school system. They know it. They see the wokeness. They see the terribleness. They see the masks and the forced vaccines and the whole thing. And they know it's wrong. And yet they can't. They still have trouble decoupling themselves from that system and trusting a charter school system, which is objectively superior in terms of educating kids and preparing them for for the market and giving them a broader perspective on life, et cetera, and teaching them, you know, intellectual independence, all that. They see that and yet they still struggle. They still struggle to let go of what feels familiar and comfortable and in some ways like maybe even genetically ingrained over the past century or so. So it sounds like you were dealing with a little bit of that naturally as you made that transition from from uh, from any amount in fiat to 100% in Bitcoin, just letting that old system go. But it sounds like it was really liberating for you. And that was also parallel to your journey, uh, your journey in understanding masculinity and personal responsibility and family. Is, do I have that kind of right? What that, what that process looked like? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, we, we've all um, been inundated with different financial advice for coping with the characteristics of the fiat system. <laughs> Diversification is a big one, right? Because you're forced to be an investor and you can't simply save, you can't just save, you know, that means that, that there's inherent competition, right? Investors compete right. with each other. And, and because of that, you need to have a handful of strategies because one could just really fail. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it's, it's really cruel and unjust. I mean, in a weird way, you're competing to see who can retire. Ugh. And, and uh, that's it. And 
I realized with something pure like a Bitcoin where you it's mathematically enforced 21 million um, slots, you know, uh, 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 21 million like mm, slots of real estate is one way to think about it. It's like internet real estate. There's 21 million spots. And within that, there's 100 million sats each, but you, you, there's never going to be more. And, and I, I kind of realized as I learned more about money that um, Bitcoin fulfilled all the properties of money better than anything we'd ever seen. And, and so in the fiat world, you diversify because um, you're competing and uh, um, there's not a perfect way to save your money. So you need to do it a handful of ways. But um, with, with money, you know, if it, with perfect money, you, you don't need to diversify. Um, you, you actually want concentration in optionality and, and money in its purest form is optionality. And so that, that was one of the hardest things, you know, going from, uh, uh, you know, just using it as a savings account to having all my investable capital in it was, was quite a jump, right? It's like I had to kind of overcome that feeling of, of what about diversification. And, and um, I, I think what I would say is, is that um, start small because Bitcoin really will change you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, can, I can only share my experience of the phenomena is that it will completely reprogram the way that you think about money. Um, it, you know, and so I, I went from all my investable capital in Bitcoin, and then I went and, and retooled my retirement, but all my retirement in Bitcoin, because I realized um, fundamentally we were dealing with a new money here that couldn't be debased and that it was going to change the world. Um, and, but even then going from zero to 99% was easier than going from 99% to 100. Like oh, wow. actually, <laughs> actually learning to live on, you know, saving on Bitcoin is easy because you kind of set it and forget it. And you say, okay, in the future, I'll figure out, I'll think through the implications of spending it. It's actually the same thing, the same way people think about their retirement, right? You know, down the road, you're going to spend your retirement, not now. So right now, just focus on building it. Right. So that's an easy way to think. And, and that's how most people start with Bitcoin. And it wasn't until I, I realized that I didn't have the or we weren't going to have the luxury of that because of monetary reset, because of hyperinflation um, or, or, you know, however, however we default, whether it's through printing and hyperinflation or through um, through insolvency and in a deflationary spiral, regardless of the the, the, me the mechanical um, uh, outcome of, of how government money will fail. It, 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 it's the realization that there's an inflection point where, you know, today you hold dollars for, you know, a couple of weeks and, and you're good um, and you invest the rest. There's an inflection point where you won't even want to do that. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, I should get ahead of that. You know, yeah. it's, it's always better to front load pain. And if you, if you <laughs> if you really believe, if you really believe that we're going to go through that type of pain. And I do, I do. I think that the United States, you know, um, commanding, you know, dollar dominance over the world. I think those days are over. I think countries um, are are sort of pivoting out of dollar dependence. I think we've passed the threshold where the United States buys more of its debt than foreign countries. So the sovereign debt is not attractive. That's what backs treasuries. That's what gives treasuries its purchasing power. That's what gives our money its purchasing power. Um, we, we used to export a lot of our inflation to poorer countries because we would import their cheap products 
Um, and so we're exporting inflation, importing deflation of essential goods and services. Um, that seems to be coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our these these this inflation will have nowhere to go, and and it really is like the cube. I can't decide if it's more like Cuba or more like Japan, uh, uh, but we are, we're turning the corner on being the, the reserve currency of the world. Yeah. And, 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 and that means the, the money, the, the paradigm of money is going to change drastically and that will affect everything in terms of what investing strategies actually do something, what don't. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I had to let go of, all the habits and behaviors of a country losing its reserve currency. And all of those policies I had to let go of um, and diversification is one. Um, a lot of these high labor um, uh, uh, wealth preserving methods is another, like this, you know, this, I, this sticky idea that like rentals <laughs> is good or the sticky idea that um, uh, uh, index funds will always work. It'll always give compound interest and, and, you know, when you rerun everything through this, you know, rerun any investment strategy with 40% inflation, <laughs> it all breaks. Right. It's all yeah. broke. And that's where we're at today. There, there's not a single one that works. So um, like that took a lot of courage to admit to myself and realize and, 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 and feed that into a thesis. So you might say like in 2018 terms, laser, what you're doing is out of control, risky and dangerous. Um, but in 2020 terms or 2021 terms, 2022 terms, yeah. um, it's not the same cost benefit analysis. And, and, and so if you can't come up with a, a thesis without being honest about the, the externalities and, and, and the, the real costs around you of not doing something because not doing, not changing your strategy is a strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so, so, you know, on the financial end, yeah, it, it a little Bitcoin goes a long way um, to changing how you think about money. And um, it goes a long way to changing how you think about personal responsibility. Um, you know, money printing is a great force that's, that's causing people, you know, money printing is the best salesman of Bitcoin because people are like, oh, am I okay? Right? Am I doing things okay? And you kind of get worry and, and, and most people, you know, are wondering if they're okay financially. So, you know, every, everything that that's harmful has the effect of creating a something better. Um, and so like this, this woke ideology that's, that's rampant in government schooling is having the effect of, of a resurgence of homeschooling, micro schools and, and people looking, you know, school choice. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in a weird way, it's like it, it births a better new phase in, in that sector. Um, uh, all, all this, this rampant uh, social network censorship is having the effect of having people look elsewhere for like networks that allow freedom of speech and how do they protect their communications and how do they talk with their loved ones and their family safely using encryption and this and that, you know, people like going to like signal and these type of things. Right. So, it, it's having the, it's only having the effect of pushing people, you know, people building better defenses so that they have more control um, over their lives. And all this, um, this weaponized food where it's, it's basically hormone disruptors th- throughout the whole food chain, all this factory food is finally having the effect of people waking up. And there's this sort of 
um, growing revolt against uh, uh, industrial seed oils mm-hmm. and uh, et- uh, hidden estrogens in, in, in all of our food. And um, the, the, the medical establishment um, uh, uh, prioritizing pharma and, and um, neglecting nutrition and functional medicine is having the effect of a greater and greater remnant waking up to ancestral living, ancestral health. That, hey, you need, you need a medical complex for intervention. You get a, a car accident or you have a rare cancer that develops to the point you need intervention in that moment. Okay, you need a medical complex for that. But we're using it for, every, we're using it for health and you, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't use it for health. So in a weird way, we're in this kind of the fall of the fiat era and all the worst parts about it are turned up to 100. And it's having the effect of creating uh, a better world. But you need to be aware of each of these things in order to see the new world that's coming into, into view and, and, and to join that. And, and so, you know, I, I think you can't have that new world without money as the foundation. I mean, money is how we trade our time. Um, there's nothing inherently evil about money. Money is a tool, right? Yep. You store your time in it. Uh, uh, you know, good and bad things come in human behavior. So what do you do with that tool? Um, and you need, you need money as, as a foundation for a society. And so, um, you, you know, to a certain degree, there's like a new world emerging, mm-hmm. you know, like an like a unstoppable um, money that can't be debased or printed in like a Bitcoin. And you have like these micro schools and homeschooling movement where people are like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have our kids in government schools, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's really good. And you have this functional health um, and, and, and pro-ancestral food community that's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't eat food from factories and uh, animals that are on, you know, eating GMO uh, estrogens. And, and uh, you know, maybe we should eat, eat food the way our ancestors did. and, and, and um, these communities that are saying, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be using Apple and windows, which spy on us. And maybe we should be using like Linux and talking to each other on signal. And maybe we should be valuing our communication and, and, and defending it with privacy mechanisms. And, and, and so you can kind of see like off in the distance that this, this inversion between the government and the individual and families is, is at hand that, that families are going to, have autonomy by way of defending their autonomy um and, and so like to me that's exhilarating it's exciting mm-hmm. that gives me meaning and and i think that's the type of thing that made me get deeper and deeper into this world and and so in 20 um it was 2021 i i retired from software and um i left uh washington which had gone batshit crazy um, with COVID China. mandates. Yeah. They completely forgot their freedom. They forgot, uh, uh, you know, they couldn't tell up from down. They were absolutely devastated. And I uh, came to, uh, uh, Texas and, and Texas is, you know, the cities aren't great, but if you go a couple hours outside of the cities, it's, you would forget that COVID's a thing if you didn't get on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I kind of realized that like, um, in a, in a way, it, like Bitcoin was kind of teaching us like Bitcoin taught me that I could mathematically, like I I could 
I could make my, my life savings expensive to tyranny, right? Like it would be, it, it would be extremely expensive to compromise the, the effort that I put in in my career and that I, that I intended to use building a family, right? That, that, that no one could really afford to come in and take that money anymore because of Bitcoin. And I realized the same stuff, like a lot of what we see with COVID is happening in cities because the return on tyranny in cities is really good because population density is high. <laughs> so um, great. I love that, look, that way. That's a great way of looking at it. And so I'm like, well, what happens if I just leave the city? Do, do, does my family get more expensive to tyranny? I'm like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we left the city and, I, and, and that's been the case. It's like, yeah, it's not impossible, but reaching out into the countryside where there are hundreds of millions and bringing tyranny to their doorstep, it's not going to work. It's mm-hmm. too expensive. And I got into gun culture for the same reason. I'm like, this gives me like this asymmetric defense, right? It doesn't stop tyranny, but if we all had, uh, it, like if there was a strong gun ownership culture, that specter of gun ownership it kind of changes the, the power mechanics, right? Where suddenly um, you can kind of say no. And I, and I think the testament of that is that we haven't had like vaccine passports yet in the U.S. because there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's millions and millions of families that just seriously would never do it. And you're going to have to drag them house by house. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about that? It's going to get m- messy in a very public way that would affect politics. So it's, it's that as a force, just the specter, knowing that, families have that uh, have firearms is a big deal in terms of the dynamics the power dynamics between the government and and its people i mean look at australia yeah disarmed and now they're living in what looks a lot like a chinese style social scoring governance system just branded for the west you know disguised in covid um, yeah. Wow. And com- compare that compared to that to the U.S. In some places, it's gotten a little weird, but largely, um, largely you can opt out. And so, I opted out with money. I opted out with by moving away from the the, the, the COVID craziness. Um, I helped my family get off of iPhones and get on to de-googled Android phones. So just Android with Google removed and. Hmm. I know there's like two popular products. There's like Calyx and Graphene OS, but they both do the same thing. They get Google out of your life, but you still have a phone. You're in charge. You're not being spied on. And we communicate with like Signal. And it's good. You kind of realize, um, wow, boy, does that make you, your activities and your thoughts between your loved ones. It just raises the cost on bringing hell to you. And if everyone did it, think about it. You're essentially showing the government the door. You're saying, you know what? We think we're done. Um, being, uh, you know, um, being, uh, mass surveilled, uh, for every purpose you can imagine. And so, and so I kind of took, took the lesson from Bitcoin and realized that in each part of my life, I could, I could, you know, lift the drawbridge. I could become expensive to tyranny. And what would that do to autonomy? And, mm-hmm. and sure enough, uh, the autonomy and the degree of sovereignty um, in my life went way up. And as a man, um, you know, that you become this, this thick, stable, cool, calm, collected wall that can be trusted because you understand that, um, there, there's no way to have no risk in your life. There's a risk gradient. 
you can move down the risk gradient by increasing the cost of tyranny. And, and that's what Bitcoin taught me. And it's absolutely transformed my life. And I think that, um, I think that we're going to have a, a Bitcoin era where people start by defending themselves from inflation and they realize that from a technological point of view, a lot of the things they complain about and they characterize as government tyranny, you can actually just defend yourself from and eliminate that behavior, make it off limits or make it so, you know, together we can make those activities so expensive that they lose in, in, in sort of the war on the family, the war on men. Um, and it, they, they lose the ability to, to launch um, totalitarian um, uh, 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 governments, uh, you know, that look a lot like China. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, in a weird way, Bitcoin helped me grow up the rest of the way. You know, I was, I was this man child that was benefiting off Silicon Valley, off easy money. And I was able to stay young, stay immature. I didn't have a lot of responsibility. I lived in a little apartment. I went out and ate and drank and really lived this posh life. It was really nice. Um, and then, you know, reality started to show up and I wasn't ready for it. And thank gosh, I had something to cling to like a Bitcoin that I could serve as a basis to build a man out of myself and realize that, um, you know, a lot of what, a lot of the ailments that the world complains about is, is we've created it mm-hmm. through, we've created it by allowing it. And, and, and what would it mean to stop allowing it? And, 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 and so I think it, it's transformational. What an incredible story. And it's, it's, um, it's really powerful to hear that. Um, because I think it's something that many men can relate to. And I think that doorway into manhood, to growing up from being a boy into a man, shows up in every man's life differently. It comes in through a different door. Um, you know, whether you read a piece of information somewhere online that doesn't compute or a friend gives you a book to read or whatever, that there's so many stories right now of how does it show up in our lives that we realize something isn't right and we start asking questions and we recognize that everything that we've learned about the world is wrong and we let go of it. And then we grow up as men and grow into personal accountability, responsibility, and sovereignty. And I think it's so fascinating that that showed up. I mean, it showed up in my life through travel. It showed up in my life through pursuit of spirituality and, and, uh, and religion. And that was the door that was the door that it came into my life through because I was always really interested in asking questions. Um, you mentioned Occupy Wall Street. I was actually part of Occupy San Francisco back in the day, back in like 2010, 2011. And I would go to all the meetings and, uh, you know, and I was really furious about the banks. That was the reason why I was there. I thought it was completely criminal and unjust that these banks could just nuke the economy and like the everyday average person was paying the cost on that. And meanwhile, like, you know, Lloyd Blankfein's doing fine, like lock that dude up, Jamie Dimon, all these dudes. I thought it was maddening. And meanwhile, I've got all my progressive friends who are like, I'm showing up in the, in the rain and the cold in the evenings in San Francisco for about a year, trying to get my quote unquote progressive friends to actually show up and be counted for something. And they're like, nah. And so that was my first insight into what was actually going on in that. But from being within Occupy, I would go to all these, I would go to all of these meetings and I would see all these different interest groups 
competing for whose thing was the most important. You know, oh, I support the spotted owl, like, and this is the most important angle or, you know, or, or climate change or whatever. And so all these different groups were trying to say, which is the key issue if we address um, will be the one that solves the problem. And I was like thinking about this as I was, as I was there and I realized what's at the root of all this. Like the, 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 this can't just be a thousand different problems. I wonder if there's a problem beneath it. And that was what sent me on a journey to understanding the Federal Reserve and, and all of that and start asking larger questions about how, about how that works. Um, but the, the information that really woke me up came through, um, came through a, an, another door, um, particularly some of the doors related to Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. That was kind of what woke me up because I really wanted to look at, you know, I wanted to look at who are these, who are these crazy people that are creating all the suffering in the world and what's going on with them. And so that was, that was my doorway in and then exploring different religious aspects. But it's, it, and that led me to realize, go, oh, wait, like there's this, there's this evil there's this evil that's that's controlling the world and trying to get people to consent to give their free will over to the system that we participate in in so many different in so many different ways that we give our we give our life force energy to whether it's what we watch on TV or the books that we read or the music that we listen to or the food that we eat it's it doesn't sustain people and I could see this firsthand in San Francisco it wasn't making people happier it especially wasn't making men happier it was making them weak it was making them and me as well soft and weak and and unable to unable to form really strong bonds with each other have honest conversations and unable to lead um, to lead in a relationship just sort of lots of lots of passivity that like you said led, led to the really nice kind of way of living in a city which is like I've got food I've got you know all these different luxury items and it's kind of nice but there's something missing within myself and so I, I put all these pieces together and realized that I needed to know more about what it meant to be a man because I hadn't been given that by my upbringing or my culture. And so I set off on this around the world journey to test myself in all of these various ways, whether it be sailing or, or trekking across the desert or climbing mountains and meditating for hours and doing all the stuff and really, and really testing myself and reading as much as I could about manhood and masculinity. And I, and I came with some really good answers, came back with some really good answers like you did about, like, I need, I need to grow up. Like I've been outsourcing my responsibility for, of all these different aspects of my life to this giant system that doesn't have my best interests at heart. And so it's been a gradual, slow process of like taking that responsibility onto myself piece by piece. And I'm not married. I don't have a girlfriend or kids right now. So I know that that's definitely a part of it. But taking back all of this responsibility has been so massively empowering while also scary to do to recognize like, wow, can I really take this onto myself? And that's so great to hear that, you know, I had my story with that. You had your story with that through Bitcoin. And we've actually kind of arrived in the same point in our lives. You came in through your door and I came in through my door. And I'm finding so many men are gathering in this place now where they've all come in through different doors and they're asking the same question. You know, what are we going to do? What is this new world that we're going to birth that we feel is being birthed and is being birthed through us? What are we going to do about that? And so that's why I love these conversations because they're being had in so many different ways, particularly around the responsibility of men. Um, and so before, you know, go ahead, sorry. You know, the, um, you know, most understand with, with Occupy Wall Street that uh, the business cycle, right? We all have mm -hmm. this rage, this rage. They're bailing out banks and bailing out industry. Wall Street gets bailed out mainstream doesn't that activated the progressive left they totally got it 
Um, so everyone knows the business cycle. Fewer know the sovereign cycle. Um, you read my mind. Debt cycle. And, and, and the reason is, is if you, if you think, if you think uh, it's unjust to bail out banks and industry, wait till you see what bailing out government looks like. Yeah. And we're living through it. We're yeah. living through it. And, and, and it's, it's such a huge injustice and it requires such deep confiscation of wealth um, in order to rectify these balance sheets and reset the game um, that they can't allow people to see it plainly is the hard truth. Mm-hmm. The hard truth is that they have to obfuscate it and they have to essentially traumatize their people so that they are mired in confusion and and um, and essentially on essentially in a holding pattern mm-hmm. for about four to six years while they do this procedure and um, so you know when you start thinking about it is like oh wow I see they're going to confiscate our money to bail out the government. Think of it as like a bigger Occupy Wall Street, a bigger business cycle, the, the, <laughs> the sovereign cycle. Um, of course, they can't have that be plainly known because that would lead to the toppling of the government. It would lead to a, a global revolt. Yep. Um, now, when you imagine it's not just one government that broke, when it's the whole world, the whole monetary system is fundamentally insolvent. Yeah. And that we're knee deep in in sovereign default. The whole world needs a coordinated answer to reset. It's not enough to reset one nation's balance sheets. So COVID through that lens starts seeming extremely politically convenient that you would have the whole world fixated on this global catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and instead of the forced austerity that would come through default, the austerity that would, you know, basically everyone having to live through a depression because governments were fiscally irresponsible and stole our money uh, and gave it to insiders, right? And of course, we'd go find them and hang them if, that's, if that was plainly known. Yeah. Um, and, and so instead, um, you have austerity not because governments were fiscally irresponsible and were living in built society on top of money printing and debt. Instead, you have austerity because a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Your spending is down because we're all living through this catastrophe together. Um, it can't be helped because the world needs to make it through this situation. And so the old way doesn't work anymore. We need a new world that is pandemic proof. Mm-hmm. That can that can that a virus can't hurt a single person, and that you know, at the end of this, instead of a business cycle, this end of the sovereign cycle, they have to do this, and 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 the structure of society is highly malleable because we're all in lockdown, we're all waiting for orders. What's what you know? When are we going to be allowed to return to the old way? Right, and th- and there is no return to the old way. They're sculpting society. They're upgrading it to a new form. And and, and to put it another way, the West is completely committed to launching a new form of government in this very opportune time. And and that's why there's not a single COVID bombshell that seems to stop what we're in. 
Right. We keep going through this insanity loop. And the reason is, is they've pre-committed to, um, so, so COVID is a distraction. That's what's keeping your house. That's what, that's what, that's what's allowing them to make unilateral changes. Um, they've suspended law essentially, and they're upgrading the, the, the government and, and, they're doing it in the likeness of China. China has this high-tech governance approach where they um, essentially everyone's surveilled by uh, uh, cameras and surveilled online. Uh, you all have a digital ID. So that, that, you know, they scan your face and you have some type of global digital ID that you can never escape from, like biometrics. Yeah. And then they calculate a social score for you. Um, and then all throughout society, they have these gates, right? So if your social score is not high enough, uh, you don't, you can't move around freely in the city. You can't travel. You're kind of, um, you can't get apartments. You can't get jobs. Um, and same thing, they, they limit your restriction, your access to the internet. Um, if, if you, if you're very compliant and you behave the way they like, um, you, you get increased mobility, you get increased uh, access to society, the internet success. And so in this way that China has actually replaced law on paper replace their judicial system with a um, algorithm. And so all you have to do is instruct programmers to craft the social scoring algorithm a certain way. And, and the rest of the world, the rest of our governments are looking at China and saying, wow, for an order of magnitude less cost, they have an order of magnitude more control over their people. We want that. We want that system in the West. And so COVID's being used as a conduit to export that form of high-tech governance locally. And so what I expect you're going to see is a digital identity make its way, this identity, so or this decade. So whether you're scanning your face to pay your taxes or you're um, scanning your face to get a driver's license or vote, or whether um, you're scanning it to get a COVID pass, they're going to need that digital identity. And then they're going to need movement passports. And COVID seemed like that's how they were going to try and get that, right? You need a vaccine passport, right? That's exactly like China. They have checkpoints everywhere based on your digital identity. It's very dystopian. Yeah. Um, and they'll need internet passports as well. And so um, if, you, if your aim was to upgrade the government in the likeness of China, but branded for the West, branded in social justice, right? Disguised in COVID. Um, then you would expect those three things, digital identity, movement passports, and internet passports. And during that time, you need a very heightened government presence that keeps people unaware that that's what's occurring. Afterwards, ironically, you can slim government way down because you have way more control than you've ever imagined. And you don't really need as, much, as many boots on the ground because everyone's in the context of that system. Um, and so I, I think that that's kind of what we're seeing. It's, it, it's the West is broke. The money is broke. They can buy themselves time by locking us down, which reduces our spending. That maximizes the purchasing power of money printing. So the people that are reshaping society in the likeness of this high-tech governance system of China, probably to stay competitive, on the government, you know, in the form of governance, right? Because governments are businesses too, so, you know, so they're using that money printing to upgrade society um, because they know that in a couple of years, they're going to have to reset balance sheets. And so they want to make sure when they let everyone out of their pens and people return to society, that it, that they've, you know, made these unilateral changes that you could only do 
in this moment. You could only do when everyone's on house arrest, when there are curfews. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's my basic thesis from observing everything that we're seeing. Um, and, and because of that, um, the hysteria loop will have to continue this whole decade. So if COVID dies, then they'll have to replace it. We don't, we don't just go back to the old way because other words, uh, people are going to realize that this is about the monetary system uh, having failed, right? And so they don't want that conversation. The conversation can't be everyone wakes up tomorrow and says, hey, why doesn't the monetary system work anymore, right? The conversation has to be about some catastrophe uh, that makes us all very careful about talking with each other, all very careful about moving around freely. Um, and so, you know, that's the thesis. And, and so, thank God you have something like a Bitcoin, because if what I'm saying is true, it means that they're going to print the extent of our purchasing power. Yeah. They're going to excavate it with money printing and um, because they need to bail out the government this time. So if you were an Occupy Wall Street and you were angry that they were bailing out the banks, well, this is a, a bigger thing that's occurring right now. Um, yeah. And so they need they need to traumatize the world, and because yeah. it's the only way that it would create enough of a clusterfuck that you wouldn't actually ask the questions about the money. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about let's talk about reset. You read my mind. That was the direction that I wanted to go in. Is before we start talking about this new world, which which can be born, let's talk a little bit about what it seems like we are going through and may potentially go through, and also kind of how it's going. Um, because the need to reset, you know, to, to you've taken all of our debt and it's out of control and money is inflated to or is on seems like it's on the direction of being inflated to near work worthlessness. And it's not sustainable because it's not meant to be because there's a plan on the other side and that's reset. And so let's let's talk a little bit a little bit about reset and what the dynamics of that are and how it seems to be working. You touched on a little bit uh, a little bit of it now with COVID being this big distraction and maybe that distraction isn't quite panning out like they wanted to, so maybe there'll be another distraction so they can pull off this operation. What is the operation? What is what is the operation they're trying to pull off? Yeah, so fundamentally um the government funds itself on money printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, 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 money comes into existence uh, uh, by creating debt. Um, and uh, that enters the monetary system. There, the, the monetary system is a two-circuit system. So there's a wholesale circuit where sovereigns do business with each other and commercial banks um, uh, uh, exist in... Uh, halfways. Um, and uh, this is where you see things like um, the underlying bucket of money. Um, so it typically involves like gold, sovereign assets like land, um, partially made up of GDP. Um, it, it's the thing that, that backs this paper money that we all use, military prowess, tra- tra- um, trade agreements. Um, so that's the wholesale circuit of the monetary system. And, um, uh, you know, Currently, that's uh, uh, being reworked uh, because that system has failed. (laughs) Um, uh, Then there's the retail circuit of the monetary system. That's where we live. We live in that system. And and this is where um, the other half of the commercial banks um, uh, exist. And they lend out money out of nowhere that came from uh, central banks. 
and that creates money in our circuit, the monetary system. Um, now, the flow of money between sovereigns and between industries is is important to um, understand that it actually affects the, the the price of goods and services, and so does uh, demand and supply and demand. Okay, so so there's a very complex um, uh, landscape of variables that dictate like how how um, products come into existence and their price. Um, but uh, but predictably, as you introduce money, um, that increases the purchasing power of, um, of of the people that get it first yeah. <laughs> at the at the cost at the cost of the people who don't. And so they go up and they purchase goods and services and and they bid up the, the price of those because there's a finite amount of goods and services. Um, so if you have unlimited money and unlimited goods and services, the the result of that is the, the cost of things goes up um, for the people who don't get the money, right? Who don't get the new money, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, so that's the retail circuit. Okay. Now the government creates money, but it's not for free. The, the, it, it's essentially married. So the government is, is, is the state is a monopoly on force. Okay. Yep. It, it, it controls violence and, and, and in a way it's kind of like a racket, right? It's, it's, you pay the government to defend you from the violence it would other words um, uh, uh, apply to you, right? Yeah, so it's brutal. kind of like, a, right. Um, you know, but the, the, the government has long married a monopoly on money because it, it you know, it's, it's not politically easy to, to uh, maintain high explicit taxes on people. You know, if you tax a, a people 90%, eventually they're going to turn top of you. They're going mm-hmm. to revolt. Especially if they're um, armed. So, yeah, well, especially if the people are armed. But even without, you, you basically, you, you have um, people throw their hands up in the air and society collapses, right? So both are, from a government's point of view, is, is like a bad app. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, in, in the late uh, 1600s, when you had the first central bank, uh, there's been various forms of monetary magic developed, monetary science, where they've the learned word. how to... De- Yes, they've learned how to debase money. And, and debase money means just create more units through various forms of trickery and steal from the collective, from families, in order to fund the government the back door, through the back door mm-hmm. without needing permission, without costing political points, without having to push it through elections, without having to make it popular, okay? Um, and over the last 400 years, they've gotten better at it. Um, and in 1971, they got really good at it because they, they essentially, uh, they removed any attachment to sound money at all. So any attachment to gold or anything that would uh, fundamentally limit their ability to conduct time theft on their people. And, um, and, and they've essentially switched the funding mechanism of the government directly to money printing. So taxes are really just a breaking mechanism that that prevent the pores from overheating the economy. Okay, money printing is where the actual uh, funding of the government comes from, and and it's been that way since the '70s. So for seventy years or so. Um, yeah. Uh, but the problem is, is that is that has the um, the effect of destabilizing <laughs> the economy fast. <laughs> like when you when you steal everyone's money, you destroy the world. In other words, um, yeah. and, and the world's no longer stable. And you get this these crazy um, 
you know, so suddenly you get uh, money dying left and right. And so since the 70s, if you actually track the amount of countries who, who have had collapse because their money stopped working, um, it's, it's, it's a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. And, and so this new way of running the monetary system is very fortuitous to a tiny percentage of people who have access to all of our money, our time, um, but it actually destabilizes the whole world. Um, and, and so, you know, you have to manage that, right? <laughs> you have to manage that because you want the benefits, but you have to manage the costs. And so what they do is um, uh, uh, when the, the balance, when the sovereigns can no longer pay to service the debt that the central banks um, levy on them for creating the money to begin with, which is to say, as your country's creating money, you're giving more and more of the wealth uh, to the central banks for the service of creating that money out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. At some point, at some point, the amount of debt that you have compared to your GDP, the ratio is so skewed that on paper, it's clear that the GDP won't even pay for the debt, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a nice way to say this is the central banks have you by the balls at that point. Yes. Um, and so they, they need payment. And, and, and the only way, and, and, and so either go to war and, and they'll come in and they'll take the assets. Not very good method anymore with, with uh, nuclear <laughs> proliferation, right? Right. right. Like it, it, that model kind of, you know, like war profiteering is actually dying, you know, it, and, and that's evident when you see like the only places that the military industrial complex can operate is like, you know, the desert, the Middle East and this and that, right? You, it, the actual war industry is getting squeezed because of, um, you know, ironically countries are able to, you know, how I was talking about defending every part of your life, with this, this, this defense technology, that's kind of what nukes are for countries, right? Once you get nukes, like you've kind of made it off limits to get invaded because you have this <laughs> asymmetric force that you can just say, look, no. Yeah. Um, but that's a quagmire, right? It's a quagmire when, um, your country is broke, uh, is, is now a debt slave to uh, a, you know, a handful of families that helped it create money, um, and it needs to pay up. So um, the balance sheet broke. And, 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 and so um, basically, the, the sovereign's in a very tricky place at that point of either letting it all um, unravel you know, uh, organically, sort of speaking, like allowing it to fail. Um, in an uncontrolled way, or what they can do is they can essentially uh, come up with a plan to carefully let the system down, carefully uh, execute a controlled demolition of the system. Um, That gives them uh, uh, the ability to uh, print enough money, to extract enough wealth in order to rectify their balance with the central banks. So they pay up the central banks. Um, then they can reset the balance sheet and start all over again. Um, if they didn't have the global catastrophe, they would have nothing to point at to, to, to say, ah, you know, we did all this money printing. We stole all the, you know, everyone's wealth, everyone's retirement, but it can't be helped because of that. Well, if you didn't have that, then the world would just topple their governments, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need a global catastrophe. You need a world war with nuclear proliferation. You can't really have the same type of world war that we had uh, before. So you need a new type of war. Um, and so, co- you know, a global pandemic is a great way to have a world war. 
where you're not firing bullets. The collateral damage is very low. It's mostly happening in people's heads, but you can still, you can still um, uh, extract all the capital necessary to uh, um, rectify uh, uh, the debt burden and reset the balance sheet. Um, and that allows the same, the monopoly on power, on force to stay in business. The same people get to um, stay there. And, and another way to say this is they can extend the fiat experiment, right? Because if we knew the cost of the fiat experiment, we would end it, especially now that we have Bitcoin in hand. Yeah. But instead, we, instead of the, 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 the collective rage that our government is, is stealing from 90% of the people, handing it to central bankers and all the insiders that have cozied up to them. Um, instead, they've replaced that outrage um, with a kind of shared conflict, right? Now we're all in war. We're all huddled down together trying to survive this thing, right? Um, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's reset in a nutshell. It, it, it's, it's, they... When the government is broke, it becomes very scared that it might not be able to guarantee its own continuity, its own persistence. Mm -hmm. And so it needs to lock down its people while it uh, pays off the bank and starts over. That's reset. Mm -hmm. and, and resets that would have been conducted through wars in the past. Now we can't actually we can't actually go to any meaningful hot war anymore for you know which for better or worse I think that's a, I think that's a net improvement nonetheless if the if the global banks because we're not dealing at the nation state level anymore we're dealing at a global level if they need to orchestrate some sort of quote unquote war to get everyone looking in that other direction like looking towards the catastrophe while in the background they're taking everyone taking everyone's money to service their own debt which they built up there's you know look over there and they snatch the money out of people's pockets to pay off the debt that they engineered um that's what we're looking at with covid is this globally engineered catastrophe just to summarize what you're saying this globally engineered catastrophe to distract to distract the <laughs> the people from what's actually going on with their money because if they could see what was going on with their money if they had the uh, perhaps even attention span really to understand the monetary system to understand where money comes from to understand the flaws to understand what the system has been doing for the past 400 years if they could actually see it as you say they would revolt and we're reaching you know we're reaching the end of this debt kind of cycle which is bigger than any debt cycle in history and so um, if that were just kind of allowed to happen on its own collapse you would have that revolt so instead let's do a let's do a worldwide quote-unquote war to distract everyone while we as you say reset reset the balance sheets and 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 i like how um the first the, the first thing that i heard you say that really perked up my ears like this is an interesting perspective is this idea of malthusian fear spells now i know that that's probably going to be they're talking about thomas malthus i mean we can get into that for sure but how covid in some sense you know if it's replaced by climate change or all these other uh, all these other potential excuses all these other wars that the that the that we're going to be fighting globally you had this term malthusian fear spell to summarize kind of what they are and where they get their energy so may, maybe uh, unpack that a little bit so that we can see like what these things might actually be that were being that are being pushed to us through the media all the time that there's no there there it's a fear spell but what is the nature of that spell yeah so in the industry of governance and statecraft um you know 
to, to, to no small degree, nationalism and patriotism has been useful to conduct these global dramatizations that we think of as world war. And the actual amount of people in a world war is, is fairly small. Um, the collateral damage is not that large, but it's a great, um, uh, a shared conflict that everyone um, that defined their lives. And, and, and it really made it where you would huddle in place, uh, they would inundate you with propaganda, keeping you traumatized for about a decade while, um, while they, they took everyone to the cleaners, they bailed out the sovereigns, and they, they upgraded um, society uh, based on how they planned the next version of governance to look. Um, so it's, it's something like, it's like a 70 to 100 year uh, cycle. And um, so can I interrupt you real quick? So I just want yeah. to make clear, you're talking like, like you're talking about World War I and World War II as essentially giant distractions for what they were doing with the monetary system. Like that's the thesis, <laughs> correct? Yeah, the correct. The, the, the thesis is that um, underneath all of it, all wars are bankers' wars. Um, all wars are are the the manifest business of of uh, monetary colonization. Um, that 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 central banking is 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 an imperial force that is uh, 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 draping itself over all of all of our families' times in order to conduct planetary usury. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, it, it's money, you know, it's the money changers and, you know, and, 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 sort of the view of, of the, the Christians, it's the money changers. Um, uh, and so that, that's the, the, the core thesis and, and, and that um, in doing so, um, the, the, the problem with the system that they've derived is it's very efficacious at, at usury and, and time theft and creating debt slaves of everyone. Um, but it also it, it 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 is destabilizing the the world quicker and quicker, and it has a lot of uh, downstream side effects that are undesirable. Um, and population uh, went parabolic after 1970, um, and it, it could be for a lot of reasons about like uh, sanitary, you know, better conditions with with sanitation and and. Um, and uh, antibiotics and 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 broader uh, food um, access, but uh, disconnect. You know, basically creating a welfare state, a nanny state, allowed uh, uh, population growth to explode. And so you, we went from like under a billion to eight billion in like seventy years, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and that's when the fiat era started. And, and so, in a weird way, this system has created like. Um, a massive underclass of, of useless feeders of people who um, they, they're net negative in terms of they consume more resources than they produce. Um, and uh, that's a quagmire um, that money printing created. And, and, and of course, now they're talking about it. it, it it's um, the, these externalities are kind of nasty. Like you could also look at nature and say, wow, um, the ability of 8 billion people to spoil nature is eight times greater than the ability of 1 billion. And so you can actually start seeing that we're like leaving a dent on the niceness of earth, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least there's a sprawl where we're, we're covering a lot of earth and a lot of these nice nature areas are no longer unspoiled. And so, um, you know, if you're the monopoly on money and, you, and you've been the, the sole proprietor of all this wealth creation, um, 
that's you know you could have all the money in the world but the you know the 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 best parts of of being are sort of being encroached upon by this sprawling unproductive uh, population um and so you know okay you have all this wealth but uh you know there's there's a there's a quandary there um there's there's also another uh technological thing happening jeff booth from within the um the Bitcoin space, he talks about technology as a deflationary force, uh, meaning as technology has improved, it's it's fought down the cost of things because it's made companies so much more efficient. Um, and, and this has really um, gotten a lot of people in the governance and statecraft industry, like thinking, they're worried that um, as artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics and computer vision as these fields um, become better and better that like a non insignificant percentage of the world will be permanently disenfranchised in terms of being able to get a job. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like 90% of the world um, will no longer be able to compete or learn the skills to engineer these systems. These systems will take over most of the mundane work and so there won't be any jobs. And so you have an extreme problem. Like if you think about that from a balance sheet point of view, who will own that technology? It's not the 100%. It's not the 99%, right? The, 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 and so you have this shift of, of assets where the 1% owns everything and 99% don't own anything. Um, and so from the state's point of view, like you need an answer. <laughs> you need yeah. a strategy. Like what are you going to do? And um, because the rate of technology advances so quickly, you don't have the luxury of like having a century or decades to figure that out. But you can see how quickly these self-driving cars are coming online and you have uh, um, uh, autonomous chefs and you you know, even engineers are employing AI to help them program. And and, um, so, you know, even China is is using... um, you know, these technology technologies in their government, right? Like, so they're actually saying, hey, let's use AI and let's actually um, build the next generation of governments, right? And so you get this autonomous governance. Um, and that's what the West is trying to replicate right now because they don't want to get left in the dust. They want to stay competitive. Um, but in there, there's a there's a huge problem, which is the, the, the current... Uh, um, the current paradigm is, is going to break fast. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you add, when, when, when you hold in one hand, the fact that this technology is going to disenfranchise, it's going to concentrate wealth because um, few people own the technology that will replace most of the world's jobs. And you also have, and you hold in the other hand, the fact that governments fund themselves with money printing instead of taxes, and that concentrates wealth in the same people's hands. <laughs> in the same, the, those same people's hands. So you, you have a huge problem, which is the, you know, the growth that you relied on to excavate wealth from in the past, if you think of governance as a business, you're, that is going to be coming from machines, not humans, to a large degree in the coming, in the future. Okay, so how would you, how would you bridge those two things? And, and, um, and I think that that, general fear has inspired a lot of sort of globalist um, uh, thought leaders um, 
who, who basically fear an overpopulation of the world. And, and so back in the 70s, Thomas Malthus was one of the, 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 the kind of top um, academ- academists that the, um, the, the central banking clique really um, uh, subscribed to. And, and his fear was that th- the world would get so large um, and, and incapable in terms of producing compared to relative to consumption that we would actually pass a point of no return, um, a kind of like progressive end of times that they call uh, the Anthropocene, the Anthropogenic era. We essentially destroy nature and nature can no longer provide for us. And um, you can see that these two views are actually very similar, right? That you would end up with most of the world who couldn't get a job, yet somehow needed to provide it for themselves. They were net negative. They were, they were cost centers. They weren't value centers. And at the same time, um, you had ac- academic thought leaders in the central banking circle in, in the 70s uh, who theorized that we would end up here. So there's, there's, there's a, a disenfranchised element in terms of technology getting so good. Um, there's a there's a wealth element in terms of wealth being centralized into the hands of a few, and then there's a nature element, meaning you have all these people that are so costly and they're spoiling nature, right? Right, <laughs> right. They're, they're spoiling what we could be enjoying, or maybe you know maybe there is something real there. there maybe they are doing irreparable. You know, because of the system we created, it, we're sprawling over nature in an irresponsible way, and maybe there's there's something real there. Um, but but what I mean, is like to, to bring it all home, that's that belief system, that that sort of that that lens that a lot of our statesmen view their governance thesis through is called Malthusianism. OK, and it, it's the fundamental belief that um, that we need to bring into the culture a feeling that our own existence, our freedom is selfish. And and the and this population level is selfish, um, and it's not because of money or technology. It's because um, the you know the world's going to end, <laughs> is, is, right? Because that that invokes fear, which creates tribalism, collective fear, paralysis, um, trauma, and makes us malleable. It makes us controllable. And so, um, downstream of that Malthusian ideology is a lot of these political spells um, uh, that, that all rhyme. And so one is, they all rhyme in this way. It's a problem that's bigger than one nation that no, one, no nation can deal with themselves. And so the only way to contend with them and you know, save the world is that we all work together. We essentially create a one world governance. I'm not gonna say government, but a, mm-hmm. a cooperative. And we all attack this thing. And that's the only way to not be selfish in our existence and to actually save the world. And, and, and so let's put the various fear spells through this um, format. Um, so, okay, so the pandemic's greater than one nation. It's, it's affecting the whole world. The old way doesn't work anymore in terms of competing. We all have to drop those norms, create new norms where we work together and save the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, so the, the global warming, um, you know, having all these countries competing with each other, 
that is only going to make global warming worse. That old way has to be wiped clear. We all have to stop co cooperating tighter, sort of drop these nation states, build this uh, global warming, global governance. And that's the only way that, you know, we can save the world with that new way. Um, uh, uh, equity, right? The old way of capitalism with all these countries competing and this and that, that can't work anymore, right? The only way to make everything the same and therefore equal is to sort of drop this big capitalist system, wipe that clear. The whole world needs to stop cooperating on this equity thing. And that's the only way to, to save, you know, save ourselves from this uh, catastrophe of, of uh, capitalism disenfranchising the 99%, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 terrorism. Okay, so um, terrorism is this new thing and it, and it affects all these countries um, in a way that our current system can't handle. So we need to bind together and create something like a world military, like a NATO um, that can really, that's the only way that we can uh, save the world from this the specter of terrorism, right? And and it started as like physical terrorism, but it seems like it's gradually being upgraded to this cyber terrorism. When you hold, when you consider what I said before about a social scoring governance system needing internet passports, I think you could see why it would be really useful to upgrade terrorism into cyber terrorism because you could say the internet's no longer, you know, the internet's no longer a safe, trusted place. Um, the whole world conducts. The economy through the internet so we need to reestablish trust the old way doesn't work we need a new type of internet that's safe and trusted right and so you need internet passports to use the internet um so all of these these very potent fear spells are leading us in the direction of creating a global state mm -hmm. um and and they're all working to replace competition between nation states with cooperation um, so, you know, hot wars, competition, these two states don't get along. There's this conflict, yada, 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 world war, right? Which of course isn't, isn't the case uh, un underneath that, underneath that you have, um, balance sheets and, 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 and uh, monetary, um, uh, imperialism and, and debt slavery. And that's why, that's the origin of all real conflict. But now that the world really is, you know, it's, the modern world where most of the capital is, that really has been captured by central banks. And so um, they need to look on to what's next. And, and, and it can't be hot war. They need these kind of Malthusian forever wars where, mm -hmm. we're, where the 99%, which will have nothing and be happy, right? <laughs> so, and, and that's code word for, like, they don't know what to do other than a combination of things like, you know, what what political system can can handle feeding people who don't work um the only one i can think of is communism right i mean it's and, and, and not well <laughs> certainly not mm -hmm. well but it's the only one that theorizes to do that right um and, and, and so that's kind of you know china china kind of has like a uh, they're like well suited to deal with like a one percent that's producing all the productivity and reaping the benefits of it. And then, and then a, a, a huge underclass, like they've done probably a little better than like India, certainly better than like Soviet union or Venezuela. Um, mm -hmm. so, 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 you know, they're, they're kind of like communism 2.0 where they have a really lean government. It's super high tech. Um, the social scoring system is what does most of the governance. I, I think the West is looking at that and saying that might solve our problem. 
of the 99% being disenfranchised. And so, you know, of course, okay, to a certain degree, I actually empathize or I understand why they couldn't allow the world to see that the monetary system had failed. Because you could actually collapse the entire world. Sure. <laughs> you could actually, you know, you could actually have, um, you could actually lose everything that allowed us to build this, you know, have the progress that we've had. So from again, if you if you are the state and you believe you're the caretaker of the future and the caretaker of every all the progress, even though you you reap tremendous um, tremendous benefits that you've abused to the point of evil. Um, you know, you have to choose Un, uncontrollable chaos that collapses the world versus controlled chaos that is a lesser evil that at least allows you to rebirth a better world. Now, is that new? Is that next um, version of the government going to be less government, <laughs> less central planning? No, of course, your solution is unbelievable amounts of central planning that people have never dreamed of before. Right. And so then. So, of course, their solution is more of the same, more control, less autonomy for individuals, less autonomy for families, okay? Because um, it's not enough. They can't just reset. The, the world really is changing. They have to work with the, with the changing landscape of technology, the changing landscape of the constraints. And it really is a constraint that um, a huge, you know, hundreds of millions, billions on essentially welfare and have no way to catch up the the productive economy really has left them in in the in the the dirt um so so i don't want to down i don't want to make less of that you know it's not just a cabal that's that has luciferian intentions you know that wants to capture the human spirit and and wants to you know um uh experiment on us with with uh, uh like a vaccine pipeline and and grow themselves into angels and embarrass God by making heaven on earth. Like it's, it's not as simple as that. Um, it's, it's, it's more like a, um, a cartel, which is a tight, small monopolized industry that has decided to cooperate with each other. That's what central banking is. It's a global cartel responsible for producing the money of nations for a fee. That fee gets so large that the nation can no longer operate, must excavate everyone's wealth, pay those people, and then reset it. At the same time, you have technology improving, the world's changing, the whole narrative of everything is changing and the conditions are changing, so they're adapting to that. Every time they have to do this surgery, you know, when they do it in the small sense, the business cycle, people freak out, Occupy Wall Street. What do you think happens if they, do, if they tell everyone the monetary system is broken? And so, um, not only are they going to do the surgery, but they have a plan to, to smooth it out, to fix some of it. And so um, let's look into China for a second. So China, um, you get a digital ID, they scan your face, and you have a ID, and you can never escape from that. Anywhere in the world, you can scan your face, and you're going to get the same ID, okay, your whole life. Um, and uh, you start behaving in society um, as you move through the city move through town, they monitor everything you do, they can recognize you, so your activities are logged to your ID, your behavior, okay? Um, when you go online, everything you do, you log on with government ID to use the internet. That's, you know, the great firewall of the West. You've heard this before. Sure. And your, your activities on the internet are logged to your ID. So now they have a big log of all your activities. 
they feed that as input into a, a engineering shop. That engineering shop develops a social scoring algorithm. So they partner with the state and the state says, okay, here's how we want people to behave. Here's what gets rewarded. Here's what gets punished. Okay. So all your activities are factored into a social score. Um, and it's, it's really everything. It's, 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 um, are you smiling at people and waving? Are you being antisocial? It's every aspect of your behavior in China is um, uh, recorded and scored. And um, that affects, how, you know, society essentially shapes itself to you based on your score. So it, does it oppress you and welcome you? Or does it, excuse me, does it welcome you and lift you up? Or does it eject you and spit you out? And that's how this autonomous governance this first phase of it is, is, is aiming for. And that's what it's like in China. It's not all across China. They have it in their hotspots. It's like they're running betas, but now they're aggressively spreading it out into Taiwan, spreading it out. Um, and, and the, the idea is, is get most of your people in these mega cities and you have this kind of high tech social scoring communism for most of society plays by that, those rules, uh, the surf class. Mm-hmm. On, t- on top of that, you have your productive class. It's a two-tier um, system where the actual people that produce, they, um, you essentially, they're, they're these kind of high-tech fascists. So they, they're, you're part of a corporation that has married the state, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you enjoy all the nice parts of life. And you probably are scored in different ways, or maybe you're exempt from social scoring altogether, but you're in the upper tier of society. Um, now China is rolling out a CBDC, which is a central banking digital currency. So what they're doing is they're saying who needs commercial banks, who needs a wholesale and retail circuit in the monetary system. Let's just combine it. Um, the, 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 the customers or the citizens will just get money on account with the central bank. So you'll have an app. That'll be your checking account. That'll be where all, where you get paid. Um, and they can just shoot you money directly, UBI, right? Mm-hmm. And um, then, but they could also make that that money programmatic, so they can make it expire. They can make it where you only spend it on these things. And so, when you plug that into this autonomous governance system, think of the amount of control that they have over you. Um, they choose yeah. where your money goes. They choose how long it lasts. If you don't behave correctly, um, you get pushed down, ejected out of society. You know. It replaces the entire, the entire structure of the, the entire thing that we think of as governments. It replaces all that in, with a social scoring system, and that becomes your god. Yep. That becomes your your god because if you don't please that system, um, you could get reeducated. You could get end up in some Chinese camp where essentially you are the product. You know they're doing all sorts of inhuman things to people. So um, it it it. it it's a new system, and the um, the West came together and said, "What the hell is next?" Because our way of of running these money printing democracies on analog fiat that way is coming to an end. So, what's next? And I think they surveilled their options, and I think they saw, you know, the central banks went into China to the seventies. Kissinger met Mao. They raised up a superpower in China, brought them yep. into the UN. And, and, and so I think what happened is that they actually, you know, this isn't a pun, but I think China was the lab to create this next yeah. gen communism. Yeah. Um, and now it's being exported to the world. It's, it's, it's 
funny that that is kind of the story of COVID um, as well, that, you know, they, they created this designer influenza as the catalyst for the, 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 the global catastrophe that would traumatize everyone while they upgraded the West. But um, it, it, you know, it, it really seems like out of Davos where you have um, the banking elite, these, these old central banking families um, meeting with the top politicians, meeting with the top industry titans, they kind of, they took their final work out of China. They pitched it to the West saying, look, <laughs> you're at the, you know, not only do you uh, owe us all your assets, but here's, you know, you're at the end of this debt cycle. You're going to have to reset. Here's the plan we have. Here's what you can do, right? And this is a great reset. This is how you can um, handle this because it's going to be, it's not free. <laughs> you're going to have to manage it. And here's what you can do next. And, and um, the, the, the Chinese system gets around a lot of the problems of money printing, right? Like, so today, when they, when they want to actually um, provide stimulus in the West, it's tricky because they're creating money in the, in the wholesale circuit with central banks. And they have this conduit in commercial banks that they're hoping that money will make its way all the way down into uh, uh, um, consumers and into corporations' hands. Um, so they don't really have control that, that indirection means they have to create huge amounts of money in order to get, you know, a little bit to trickle down on consumers. So they can't really stimulate the economy. They control the price of money through interest rates, but that two-circuit system doesn't give them enough control. They're looking at China, and China's rolling out a system where programmatically they can, they can um, account for all the externalities of creating too much money. If you print too much money and hand it to this part of the population, and everyone else um, uh, starts, let's say they start to um, get scared and they save. So they're stockpiling their money. You could just make their money expire. So they're forced to go out and spend it, right? So this is the kind of system that they want that gives them even more control over human behavior in order to round out this, uh, this planetary usury, <laughs> the side mm -hmm. effects of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, so that, that's essentially the explanation for why does it seem like every country in the West is, is suddenly in unison following this great reset plan, right? What, mm -hmm. what, why, why not go against it? And, and the answer is, is, um, okay, all central bankers had to do was attach credit creation to the rise of this global state, this social scoring state where the central bank essentially controls um, the world population through social scoring, it just had to attach that to credit creation in various ways. And, and a world addicted to debt will just follow. And so here's how it did it. Uh, for countries, it moved um, uh, money printing, it's, and it's been doing this since the 70s, but it really ramped up in 2020. They essentially, they're moving the center of gravity of money printing to the IMF through SDRs. Um, and so if you want, if you want uh, uh, debt creation, you want the, the, the main service the central banks provider, provide, you have to buy vaccines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Funny enough, the only way to get SDRs on your balance sheets is to buy vaccines through the IMF. Um, and, and so you have to comply with this vaccine imperial, right? Yep. So you're... You're, you're 
signaling your loyalty to this, this uh, central banking imperialism. Um, corporations, uh, the easy money that they used to get um, through, through local mechanisms, that's being migrated to ESGs. ESGs is um, environmental governance, global governance, mm-hmm. but it's access, to, it's access to printed money. So long as you sign up for global governance, branded as environmentalism. So now multinational corporations, they're cutting their ties with their localities and they're looking to this new global uh, governance in order to get their credit creation, their fix, because they need that debt. They're addicted to it because debt is just other people's money when it's being created out of thin air, right? So of course, they're addicted to credit creation. And for individuals, you know, what they're saying is, I mean, you don't have to work anymore. This pandemic's going on. We're going to start giving you UBI, wear a mask, right? Um, carry around this movement passport and we'll, we'll float you on credit creation. So they're just attaching credit creation to UBI. And the mm-hmm. way that you signal your loyalty is to keep going along with the COVID thing, going along with whatever the government says. Yep. So if, the, if central banks attach this credit creation for each of these three entities, nation states, multinational corporations and individuals, they attach it to the rise of the IMF, the World Bank, um, ES, the ESG desk. Um, then you end up, you know, we are pushing them to create this global government, um, which is all based on a type of high-tech governance perfected in China. The subject of men and jewelry is complicated. As my friend and style coach Tanner Guzzi might say, it's best to stick with pieces that have personal meaning to you rather than wearing jewelry just to wear it. But how can a man find a meaningful piece in a sea of cookie cutter Chinese garbage? The answer is hand craftsmanship and one of a kind wearable works of art made right here in America. Which brings me to my podcast sponsor, Deepwell Designs. The proprietor, Thomas William, handcrafts silver and precious stone pieces to meet your specifications. He's been making them for over 20 years having learned lapidary and silversmith from his grandfather as a boy. And the results are spectacular. His pieces sing with style, quality, and care. On his website, you can see rings, necklaces, bracelets, cuffs, pendants, belt buckles, and more, and pieces for both men and women. He even just made me a silver Christian cross necklace, which is on the way, and I can't wait to wear. He banged it out, literally, in about a day. We exchanged DMs with sample photos, and he nailed exactly what I wanted and I'm not easy to shop for. I'm picky about who I choose as sponsors for my podcast. They must be high integrity, talented, one of a kind, and different from the typical type of podcast sponsors. And Thomas meets all my requirements, which is why I'm thrilled to introduce you to him today. I'd say more, but rather than telling, I'd prefer to show you what I mean. So visit deepwelldesigns.com or head to Instagram at deepwelldesigns00 and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off any piece, including custom orders. If you don't see anything you like, just message, and I bet Thomas can make it for you. Once again, that's deepwelldesigns.com or deepwelldesigns00 on Instagram and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off. As men, I believe it's important to support our fellow creators, so I hope you'll take a minute to help a talented one out. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the podcast with Laser Huddle. Oh, 
I mean, like right there, right there, you summed it all up. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, Jay, he said that no mainstream politician, no significant politician will ever question the vaccine agenda. He said the reason why is that to question the vaccine agenda is uh, vaccine imperialism is to question the legitimacy of the nation state itself. And yes. um, it's a it's a pretty sophisticated argument that you just put the pieces together because it, the behind vaccine imperialism is the credit creation. You adopt these vaccines, we'll give you more credit to do whatever you got to do. And then behind that, on the other on the other side, is the participation in this automated high tech, you know, techno dystopian um, tyranny, right? That's what's that's what's coming along on the other side on the other side of that. But but I want to I want to actually ask a question about this because. Um, it seems like there's a couple different things happening at once. So we went into this fiat era where uh, money was just able to be printed freely and we went from a billion to six billion or eight billion people. And so then the world controllers took a look at this giant problem that they created with their own system of money creation and said, oh, wow, now we're despoiling nature, et cetera. And so it seems like there's a couple you know, different- or, or, or we just, maybe we don't need, we don't need this many people. It's not gonna be productive, right? right yeah. yeah. You have to speculate as to the the, the actuality of that, and, and that's all we can do. Um, but certainly, um, we know that there is a, a cultural narrative that um, a handful of them that are making us all believe our own existence is selfish, and that we shouldn't be having kids, right? And that right. we should be really, you know. So, so that you're working backwards from that. Is there a real anthropogenic era that we're heading into? Um, you don't know if the science is fiat science or if it's legitimate. You right. genuinely don't know. Fiat right? science, what a great term. Yeah, no, that's you're right. And, and well, that's the thing is like, what is what is the actual impact beyond the propaganda that we're fed through films and, you know, an inconvenient truth and all that? Like, you, it doesn't take too long to scratch at the climate change agenda to see like there's no there there, you know, but it seems to be it's one of those unquestionable one of those unquestionable things is it's got the character of religion. But so we have all these people that are allegedly doing all this damage. And then so it would seem like there's a couple different that, that if from a world controller's perspective, there's a couple that, there, that there's a couple different things that they might do. One is a mass depopulation, which I'd like to get into. But it seems like yep. it, it seems like there's a slow mass depopulation through, you know, down engineering hormones like testosterone and and guilt shaming around families and stuff like that. But then it's actually down, down, uh, de-escalating the population into a system of of greater social control. It sounds like that's what you're describing. So they decided that they they created this fiat printing of money. The population explodes, and all these things start happening that they judge that they want to change. And so they down engineer the population into systems of greater technological tyrannical kind of control. Is that kind of the thing that you're that you're describing? Is that is that does that seem to be the picture? Because it would seem that that the that this that controlling more people, building a larger um, system of of controlling more the metaverse or or whatever, would would kind of be inefficient to try and manage at least in America, say three hundred million people. Like I've also I've been to I've been to China. I traveled there for six weeks, and you're right. There's there is a lot of tyranny in the cities. Everything is run through the app uh, WeChat, where your social life goes through WeChat and your finances go through WeChat. And that was I was there in what 2018, so it's probably gotten much much worse. But outside and outside those areas, like in the rural areas, it's not as powerful. So it would seem like you would have to you'd have to reduce the global population in order to lock them into these prisons. But then if you've if you've taken everyone down to the small smaller population, 
why build the prison? And so that's, that's the place where I kind of, where I kind of get stuck in some of these narratives. Maybe, maybe you've thought that through. Yeah, I, I think, so if you take a secular view that... Um, yeah, and that's the thing is, that, you know, do we want to look at it theologically or do we want to look through a secular lens? Because that's the choice, right? Well, I think as like an adult and a Christian, you should do both and, you should, and then you should try and work through how they would fit together. And, 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 and that's probably the responsible way. But yeah. the, the, from, from a secular point of view, um, governance, world governance and statecraft and, and the, the business of money is a business. Mm-hmm. And if you have a fundamental thesis and you have broad consensus within that industry, um, and, and and it's closer to say it's a cartel because um, you know the, the the families that defend the monopoly on money have have done so for four hundred years. There's not a competition there, so you you know right. you don't you don't see like a new company competing with central central banks, right? And that's right. a very old uh, uh, industry. That is interfam intergeneration, and so you know that, that I, that's not a value statement. That's just an observation. Okay, mm-hmm. um, now now um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. So, re, uh, jog my memory because I, I lost. I lost oh, we're it. talking about like if you're gonna if you're gonna down engineer the human population ah. to protect the environment, why build the prison that yeah. you're, that's clearly getting built? Yeah. So, okay. So if your thesis is that a, a large percentage of your, uh, of, of the world is going to be disenfranchised by technology. Um, and, and that's going to change the cost benefit analysis of customers that, that you support. Right. Um, because, okay. So now if most of the productivity is going to come from 1% and you're going to have a growing class of automation that provides that, that does all sorts of things, um, running the government, manufacturing, uh, you know, mostly like takes over most uh, uh, jobs. Um, and then that's your thesis and you, and you have consensus within your people on that. Then, then you need a plan for, um, you need a plan for the rest. And, and, and more than that, like central banking uh, feeds on growth. So, you know, it's very ironic that they have these Malthusian um, uh, fears that we're all supposed to care about yet the money printing, you know, building a society on, on creating money out of thin air is a growth at all costs society. We, <laughs> right. we grew, in, we grew in every, you know, in every metric that impacts the world, we've gone up into the right, um, amount of people, amount of businesses, amount of products, amount of pollution, right. We've gone up into the right. And I'm, I'm, I'm being generous to their point of view. You, you, you can't, you know, certainly there's consensus that pollution is bad and we do too much of it. And, and there's not a great market mechanism to, to incentivize reducing that. But, you know, so there's, there's common sense stuff, but there's like, to what degree are we threatening? You know, is, are we at, at an end of the world event? Okay. Right. Um, there's right. a difference. Too. Um, yeah. And, thank you, for and, and so, thank you for acknowledging that you're being generous to their point of view, because like, that's, that's you're, I think in many cases you're giving them a very generous interpretation. And so that's important to acknowledge for someone who understands like, no, we're not celebrating any of this stuff. No, I did. Uh, like, how how could I come up with a moderate secular thesis without doing so? So you you know yeah. you have to get in their world and and you have to assume that they believe they're good actors, right? right? And you have to you have to imagine the incentives and constraints around them. Um, and so if you imagine yourself a, a a statesman presiding over the top level narratives that guide the world, guide society, 
Um, you, you know, you, you, what, what is the why behind that? And, and so that's right. what I'm reaching at. I'm reaching at that why. I'm reaching at the what. And, and, and that's why I do this pattern matching between these Malthusian fear spells so that I can understand the commonalities and that would give me insight into the why. And, and so um, I think it really is, you know, be, before, you know, you looked at Japan. What happened in Japan when it became highly modernized? Um, it, it's funny. It's like uh, the, the state ended up owning all the wealth and uh, they had, you know, they lost their ability to save. Um, mm-hmm. Housing stopped going up. They had no mecha- no investment mechanism for families to save. So the welfare went really high. Um, and uh, so you had this broad disenfranchisement. Um, the, the Everyone ended up... Uh, uh, um, concentrating in the metropolises and mm-hmm. these towns, you, you end up with ghost towns. Um, and, and, and so I think the central, the central banks kind of looked at Japan, I feel like, and said, okay, that's our forecast for what's going to happen as we become more high tech, more modernized. Um, people will lose their assets. They'll lose their ability to save. They're going to lose their jobs. The state will have to get bigger to compensate. Um, at the same time, you have to recognize that um, uh, genocide or democide, which is just genocide conducted by governments, is a balance sheet uh, maneuver. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. in the same way that that, that war is, is a, a statecraft to to um, to bail out governments and reset balance sheets. Um, you know, the, governments view their citizens as balance sheet line items, and and so you, you're either in the assets column or the liabilities column and, and they do um and, and you know they do a maintenance of and liabilities column no different than a corporation would do and so um i think to a certain extent the government has greenlit experiments and greenlit new industry uh, um uh, absolved companies from cost because you know at the end of the day there's a segment of the population that's net negative and um if they think they can get a, a net gain out of this or that, um, th- then that's a lower risk um, endeavor. And so, you know, to a certain degree, when you have reset, you need growth stories for the next cycle. You know, what is going to drive the growth? What is the, 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 the overlying narratives that are going to drive the next hundred years of growth, right? And I think when the, the, the gentleman at Davos looked at the next hundred years and they looked at the trends of a concentration in AI, machine learning, robotics, computer vision. They looked at the disenfranchisement of, um, uh, of jobs. And I, I think this is how they came up with this fourth industrial revolution vision. They're saying that, um, that basically uh, we will essentially shift to a more equitable world, which is co-word for uh, communism will proliferate. You'll have broad joblessness. The state will provide uh, pod and soy food. So, you know, house and, you know, living conditions and, and, and sustenance. Um, but where does the industry get its growth from? And this is the catch 22, right? Um, now, if you look at like a Facebook, so Facebook is free. Is Facebook profitable? I don't know. I think so. Or is it? Yeah, they're insanely profitable. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, and the reason is, is because they, they aggressively monetize their users. Mm-hmm. So premium isn't free. You're the product. 
mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and, and Google and Gmail and all of them, your data is the product. That's where the money comes from. So when you're not paying your, your data is, is the prize. Um, and, and now it's going even further where these uh, technology companies are realizing another book of business is censorship, right? So helping craft narrative in, in partnership with the, with the state. And so um, these companies are, are, are turning their profit streams towards centralization, towards the government. So they're becoming highly fascistic, just like in China where mm-hmm. every successful company um, eventually is married with the state. Um, uh, now, so that trend's really important because it makes you realize the fundamental relationship with the, the citizens and the government is changing. In a world where the citizens produce a lot of value broadly, they have high leverage over the government. They, you know, the government is, is um, a customer of the citizens. Uh, when citizens can't protect their wealth, they can't, they're not producing value. They, they put mm-hmm. their governments in a place where they have to figure out a freemium model. Okay. So what, what I suspect is happening is a handful of things. I think they're, gr- I think they're green lighting um, the, the vaccine industrial complex, which is really a transhumanism industry that is being birthed out of this uh, COVID pandemic. Yeah. Transhumanism is this idea that if only we could do GMO and experiments broadly on the human species, we could finally overcome a lot of our the ailments that plague our species. Right. That's, but the, in order to generous. do that, <laughs> that's, yeah, the, that's, the, that's do, a secular answer. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. In order to do that, you need you need immunity and you need the ability to covertly run experiments on the whole the planet. So um, but if you think if you think about that from an from an industry, like imagine the growth at making humans that uh, you know uh, eugenics. Imagine the industry of eugenics. How much um, value that would provide to central planners and the one percent, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you could, um, and, and and that's interesting, right? Because now you could argue that you know some percentage of the world is no longer in the liabilities column, even if you're paying for room and board. Even if you're paying for food, that they have a massive value. Oh, gross. Um, because, oh, you're so right, yeah. though. But now it's kind of like you know Facebook with freemium. It's like you know, learning from that, you can actually productize your citizens because you can use you know now they have value, inherent value, even if they're not working, even if they don't have a job, they do have a job. It's to be the orifice of your experiments. Um, <laughs> Wow. Now, where, where you hope to yield a significant scientific ground, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, and so that's valuable to the monopoly on money, the monopoly on force. And so um, I, I, I think that there's some percentage of the population that, 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 um, that gets a free ride because they're going to be submitted to that, okay? Um, and also you have to realize shifting into this new um, era of governance, they're reaching for autonomous governance and they need people to be in that system to develop it. So there's value in simply having people help the state learn what's behind this autonomous governance uh, roadmap. And I, and I think what they're reaching at, honestly, is to create a general AI that manages, the, that does communism perfectly. Because communism is this idea that we've created heaven on earth. Um, all of our uh, you know, none of us have to work, um, and and there's perfect balance between man and nature. It's it's very Luciferian um, mm-hmm. in, in 
in this idea that, but, but the, the maddening part of it to communists and, and of what, uh, which central bankers are, I mean, the communism is there. It's, it's their sort of first stab at the idealistic and end place for mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, maddening to them is that they can account for goods and services as inputs and they can write algorithms that, that, that tell us how many we should uh, create to have balance with nature. But the, the, the thing that, and they can account for policy uh, of, of government and, and, and fold that into models and, 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 and come up with, you know, what the incentives structure should be. But the problem is, is that they can't account for uh, human nature. They can't account for human action and mm-hmm. they can't account for the human spirit. And so um, part of what this social scoring system is, is, if you can fully observe human activity, you could use AI and machine learning to create the perfect central planner. And, and I think at the end of what they're aiming at is they actually want to give away autonomy of the human species permanently into an AI godhead that, that, that creates heaven on earth. Um, I, you know, from their point of view, it's a problem solving. Um, it, well, it's a, it's a wealth centralizing and a wealth securing mechanism, the wealth being the best parts of living on earth, because when you own the money, what else is left? Right. You want, you want the, you, you know, all that's left is to make earth your heaven. Right. So, mm. um, <laughs> you know, when you own all the wealth and, and, and so, you know, you start to see where there's a theological view. It's like, okay, you're, you're running, you're, you're upgrading the species through covert, through involuntary eugenics, using um, a fear of fresh air and germs to deliver this mRNA duplex. And I fully expect them to fold every vaccine into a single mRNA duplex that you receive uh, regularly and that they can run various um, experiments on different cohorts of people for, for whatever their aims are at, at, at tampering and, and adjusting our species. And so, of course, there's the theological side to that if you're Christian, but there's also a secular business side. It's a new growth story for the next you know, era of humanity. And so the governments are greenlighting this industry, which will prey on humans, productize them in the same way that Facebook does. And this is what will bankroll, this is what will fund the communism model, right? It has to, because it has to be worth it to support people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's part of why the Great Reset, their vision of the fourth industrial revolution includes the loss of sovereignty and autonomy of the individual. It's because you are kind of making this transition to being a product um, if you're a useless feeder, if you're not part of that upper caste that's in the high-tech fascism that's a productive caste, then you're in the lower, the surf caste. And, and so why are you being supported? Why, aren't you, why are you being supported at all? Why? What's the return on that? Um, and I think these growth stories are the return. You're helping develop autonomous governance. You're helping with the emergence of this transhumanism industry. Um, these are highly desirable to the, the upper caste. Um, and so that's why I don't believe we'll see an overt death event. Um, I don't think we'll see like a big mass depopulation moment. Me neither. Um, one, yeah. One, because like, it's too obvious, right? <laughs> right. Like, yes. Um, it's too obvious. Like, okay. So let's say, okay. Let's say from a business point of view, I said, okay, the, 
there's a TAM, there's a total addressable market on, on um, transhumanism. And, you know, I need, I need like a billion and a half people. And that would be enough. <laughs> right. So that's casual. The, so casual. The, yeah. That's the TAM on transhumanism. <laughs> and let's say we roll up the West in the likeness of China and we say, okay, in the next cycle, they're going to compete on this new playing field of Malthusianism where everyone's trying to save the world from environment or like environmental failure. Um, okay. And that's going to let us, you know, develop this autonomous governance system, which creates perfect symbiosis on, on planet earth. Right. And that creates this wonderful um, experience. The best parts of being are preserved and we're only the only, you know, the only cost is human choice. You'll never have, you know, you won't have choice or meaning, but Hey, free will. You know, yeah, free will. That's it. That's all you had to say. Right? Not, not your, not, not your free will. Just the free will. Ninety nine percent of the people. Um, and then what on that? Like, what's the ideal, Tam? Maybe that's I don't know a billion, right? You don't need eight well, billion people. Five hundred million um, is what the Georgia Guidestone says. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So how are we going to get there? These, um, you know, when you're in statecraft and governance, you don't do things on the order of 10 years. You do things on, on the order of hundred years. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, you know, it could go anyway. I don't think you see like a, th- this is why I, I heart people who fixate on COVID. I think you're, you're missing the, the trees, the forest for the trees because you're so zoomed in. If you don't zoom out and view history through the lens of money, you'll never understand um, that COVID is an act that was manufactured for us in the same way that like red team, blue team democracy is not, you know, that's there to prevent you from seeing reality. That's not Mm -hmm. reality. Um, And and so I don't think you get an overt death event. Um, I think what they're doing is they're, they're rolling out and normalizing um, uh, 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 having access to everyone's body and being able to put stuff in it um, regularly. Um, they're learning. I think they're running a handful of experiments while they're doing it. This is why you see when they analyze the different vaccine cohorts that they saw some were really deadly, some weren't. Yep. Um, and you don't see that with with the flu vaccines, with influenza vaccines. So that's new and that's a red herring. Like it's it's just real data that's, staring everyone in the face, showing something's going on mm-hmm. behind the scenes that's making, um, you know, why, why is uh, some people, there's cohorts of people losing hair. There's cohorts of people having stillbirth. There's cohorts of people who uh, get this, this, this AIDS-like um, condition. And so the weird thing with smell being lost, all these things that we just aren't normal. They aren't, they aren't of nature. Yeah. I mean, they're of nature in the sense that we could create it and nature would tolerate it, but they aren't, they aren't um, uh, like emergent as part of like adaptive evolution, right? Like things yeah. slowly adapting to reality. Um, so, okay. So you cast this wide net, you normalize that. And um, yeah, if you, you know, once you have the lever, then you could turn it all you like in whatever way you like. And so there's already been a sort of war on, on population growth through um, covert means, um, through um, uh, 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 food. So especially uh, d- d- down engineering, um, the, hor- the, the very sensitive hormones required to have children mm-hmm. um, uh, through hidden estrogens that are everywhere, plastics, um, through things that uh, disrupt testosterone. 
um, through the emasculation of, of, of men. Um, and there's these sort of Marxist poison pills, these cultural poison pills. Um, the, the sleight of hand that went from sort of gay rights turned into this LGBTQ imperialism where it's this absolute, you know, it's no longer okay to be straight. <laughs> this, yep. You know, this, you know, it went from like making it okay to be different to now it's, it's no longer okay to be normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's everywhere. You know, you have these, these tranny, these tranny pole dancing shows at pre, you know, government preschools and whatever. So it's, it's, um, you know, you have all those things that, and, and now fold in the fact that, um, that, uh, w- with these vaccines, you know, there does seem to be a, a concerning trend of uh, fertility issues. Right. So, you know, I, I think it's a layered approach. It's a covert approach. And I think if, if the world population is taking an mRNA duplex regularly and a small, you know, the 1% that the, the eugenically inclined mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, portion of the earth is, 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 you know, manufacturing these, um, I think they'll have all they'll need to covertly dial down the population to the desired population level. Um, I think money printing economics is a great tool to. Um, to to extract everyone's wealth, centralize it into the state, then all you need to do is just attach credit creation to the shape of society that you want. So if you want everyone in the mega cities, um, make UBI contingent on living there. And then the, the countryside will clear out. Um, mm. uh, if you want, if you want to clear out, if you want to make people where they can't produce their own food and they can't sort of live their own way, you know, a war on, on, on energy uh, uh, colored, you know, described as, as uh, climate change, you know, just make it where it's not okay to have energy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where, where cows uh, are sh- selfish, right? And so, you know, it, 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 it's okay. So you can't, the world is a massive complex system and you can't control it. You can't micro, you can't control the outcomes and no one yes. can, no one has that power. Um, but the world is based on incentives and the, and the yes. greatest incentive on this planet is, is credit creation. And mm-hmm. we've lived in that world for 400 years and, and we're so, we're so addicted to credit creation as a world that, um, this, this central banking, uh, circle can attach that to anything and we would do it at this point. And, and, and be, because if we didn't have continued credit creation, um, the hard fact is like we kind of signed a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. The world really would collapse now. <laughs> you know, people are always surprised when they hear me talking about this. Cause it's like a really bleak thesis. <laughs> like it's a really scary thesis yeah. um, that, that tries to tie in everything, but I'm not, I don't sound black pilled and I don't sound pessimistic. I'm like optimistic and I'm kind of like psyched and energetic and, like, how can that be? <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think it's because, like, um, from a secular point of view, someone in 2008, in the, the banking crisis, Occupy Wall Street, someone released Bitcoin the same day that the chancellor in, in, uh, bailed out the banks in the UK. Um, and it was within close proximity of the US going through the same thing. The, the world monetary system, they basically used credit cre- money printing to kick the can down the road, knowing they were going to have to do this surgery, not that long after, a decade mm-hmm. later, but they kicked the can down the road. Someone released Bitcoin. And since then, 
I've started to see that even if the Great Reset succeeds, like they kind of get it off the ground, I think Bitcoin's going to unwind it because Bitcoin represents flourishing and individual and family empowerment. And it represents the ability to simply opt out of all this insanity that you see and say, you know what? I'm going to go focus on my family. I'm going to go be with people who care about individuals and family who care. And, 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 and sort of, it's almost like unplugging from the matrix in a way. Mm-hmm. And I see that. So they want this great reset fully realized by 2030, end of this decade. And if you, now that you know that, as you see social media, everything coming from the progressive mainstream media, which is an extension of the state at this point, is it's all aimed at 2030. So you'll see that number over and over and over. Um, I look at how Bitcoin is growing, like it's growing exponentially. And I, I think that, I think it, you're actually going to have a split on earth and mankind of, of um, you'll have a, a central planning, money printing society um, in its twilight that thinks that it's extending the fiat system over these mega cities. And at the same time, I think you're going to have a, a fork where um, you'll have a, a Bitcoin era being born. Um, mm. and, and already you see like, okay, so loads of individuals have decided to use Bitcoin as their, as their currency, like their, their money for their family. And, and they all sound like me. They're all like empowered and can't believe how it changed their life. And, and they all have high confidence and optimism of the future. And that creates like an attractive flourishing that other people wonder about, like how in the middle of this chaos, are you confident about the future? Cause you're confident that you're confident in 21 million, right? Mm-hmm. You're confident in your ability to, to preserve your sacrifice. And that makes you confident about planning for the future, makes you able to plan for the future. So you're not huddled under the state waiting for them to solve this catastrophe for you. But it's not just individuals. Like um, there's a trend in the last couple of years that companies, corporations have started holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Right. Right. And I think that's going to go all the way to Apple. It's going to go all the way to these bigger companies eventually realize, yeah, we need to hold this too because you know, we also don't want our time stolen. We also yeah. don't want our value debased because um, we want to plan for the future too. Hmm. And it, it also is going up to countries. I mean, you have El Salvador said they made Bitcoin legal tender and they started holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet and their citizens can now conduct, you just treat Bitcoin like money. So there's no taxes on it. You just, you go use your sat to buy coffee or pay for groceries and um they're they're doing a a bonds offering so they're actually the first country in all time to offer sovereign debt based on bitcoin and so what what they're going to do is they're going to package bitcoin in this debt offering and they're going to build a a bitcoin city off the side of this volcano and use Hmm. the the renewable energy to power a bitcoin mine so that they can mine bitcoin and and essentially fund the creation of this sovereign city and it reminds me of the Renaissance, like the Renaissance, you had this dark ages. And then what emerged through that is these sovereign cities that, that, you know, through flourishing attracted brilliant capitalists and brilliant people. And it created this feedback loop where everyone was attracted to it because of the misery elsewhere. And I think we might see a Bitcoin Renaissance. I mean, you know, the, the great reset is helping 
really maximize the misery all over the world. This fiat system, we're at peak misery. There's nothing that's attractive about it. They're leading people through fear and catastrophe and trauma. And it works a little bit, but it's really hard to do that when, you, you know, right next door there's flourishing because flourishing and, and happiness and success is just a stronger force. And so, you know, I'm confident because I see individuals leaving the trauma and catastrophe of the fiat era and, and, and just place and saying, you know what, can I move into the Bitcoin era now? Like, why wait? Let me just move now. And it completely changes their life. I see companies doing it and I see countries doing it. And I think that um, in a competition of, of innately free humans, flourishing wins. And even if there's tragedy and genocide and enslavement and all of these things, I think at the end of the day, our, our innate compass will take us to an era where um, you can't steamroll families, you can't steal their wealth, where um, you, know, you, you can't eliminate the natural order that uh, God put in everyone. And, and you know, to a certain degree, Theologically, you can look and say, yep. has man overplayed his hand in terms of threatening free will? Mm -hmm. And did God lift his finger and allow Bitcoin to exist and essentially say with, with almost no effort, um, you know what? You're not going to have control over money anymore. Yeah. Wow. And, and no one will be able to control it. And, and you've, you know, because I don't, I don't think it's God's purpose to, um, ameliorate tragedy i think you know i i think he's god is completely content with tragedy because all, you know all the tragedy that we experience outside of the tragedy of being sort of the the inescapable tragedy of of existing right we can't escape death there isn't unlimited things um you know nature is you know entropy is killing us that's that's tragic but not evil it's like it's like that's it. you can't get away from that that's part of existing but most of the tragedy that we're trying to eliminate is tragedy that flows forth from the limitations of man to begin with, right? Um, starvation and war and genocide and enslavement. You know, people say, why doesn't God stop these babies from dying? And it's like, it's not, it, it, it's God gave us free will so that yeah. we could experience the tragedy of our own limitations so that we could learn the cost of sin, so that we could choose to, to, to face good or not. But, and so I think none of the tragedy offends, I mean, the sin offends God, but he, he, he loves us enough to allow us to, under, to experience it so we can understand in the smallest way why, why he, he hates the sin. Um, but, but because of that, the tragedy is acceptable. Like it's, accept, it's, it's within the terms. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. it's not the, it's not, so it's not that God... Would, would create Bitcoin too because it's like too much tragedy. I think if you really want to threaten God, you will, you, or if you want to tempt God, you will threaten free will itself. You will mm -hmm. say, hey, I'm going to make it where future generations won't have the ability to even realize themselves, to, to understand what it means to be human, to, to have a hero's journey, to, to have the choice to turn towards good. Um, if you threaten the human story itself, I think that you would you invite um, some some intervention, and I think Bitcoin might be that intervention. There's a lot of sec secularists who you know who who get sick when I say that, but there's a lot of 
the Christians who it really resonates with. So I, I maintain that below the secular thesis, I, you know, there really is grounds for a theological view, and I think it has a ton of merit. I'm really glad that we got here because um, while you were while you were talking about the reset, I had this I had this image of nuance which you had introduced, which I finally saw because I'm I'm a theologically minded, faith minded man, so I tend to think along those dimensions, and I tend to look at things kind of unilaterally in that way that it's all driven by this kind of let's say death cult. But you're very right that there is a potential possible secular explanation for let's say world controllers or bankers who like they don't buy any of that like spirituality, religious mumbo jumbo. Like they just they're just interested in the money and they're just interested in some very secular problems. They don't really care. But the, the cult is real. And what was really kind of scary for a minute for me about what you were saying, just in terms of my own realization, was the understanding that for for a moment, it seems as if, and probably longer than a moment, it seems as if the the, the, the death cult theological drive and the secular drive were aligned. And what we're seeing is they they shook hands and they agreed and they said, okay, our goals are essentially the same. We want to, you know, we want to get down to this technological solution and, you know, for yeah. all, all these different reasons. It's like, let's work together to do this thing. Okay, cool. Okay. So I agree with you also on the Renaissance aspect. And that's the, why I, why I, I named my, my brand and my podcast, the Renaissance of men, because I, I have seen the same trends as you have um, in terms of peak misery, but that's generating a, a, a rebirth of men in terms of masculinity to push back the different men coming in through the different doors, wake up for different reasons and recognize the need to push back on this theological secular tyranny. And as far as I had, this is really cool because as far as I had gotten with this, um, was, was there is absolutely a Christian revival that's happening within the, within men and masculinity right now. It's un, it's un, undeniable. You can talk about things. I can talk about things in the open with regard to Jesus Christ and, and that faith that I, I don't think that people would have been able to do just a couple of years ago. And I think it's a very natural outgrowth. So if you look at things in terms of the balance where you have the, the feel of terms of, in terms of reset, where you have the, the theological dimension, or you have the, the, the death cult, let's say aligned with the secular bank. You have that too. You have the spirit and money, right? And they've they've come to work together. On the side of this masculine renaissance, there's the spirit. There's very clearly a spirit aspect. Maybe not all of the men are Christian. Some of them are pagan. Some of them are various religions. But there's a there's a spiritual facing kind of aspect where men are discovering the need for, to root themselves spiritually in some way to push back on tyranny. But what I hadn't yet come up with an answer for is where is the material pushback? And I think that you just said it because the material pushback comes in the nature of money that you can opt out of the system with everything you have. You can grow your own food. You can have your, you can, you can have bullets and your gun and you can have all this stuff out on the homestead. You can drill, have your own well and solar power and you can be completely sovereign, but you can't be completely sovereign unless you can take your money with you because they can always get at you through your money. So you need some sort of sovereign money. And, and you just said it right there that maybe God lifted his finger to allow Bitcoin to exist because I myself have struggled to understand how how something like Bitcoin can exist without a theological explanation. And I've read the white paper and there's nothing mystical about the white paper. I think I, I, I plan to read the thing and thought that it would be like, have this kind of weird kind of energy around. It's like, no, it's actually quite clear and quite concrete, but I, I can't get around this notion that, gosh, if there is a spiritual dimension to reality, then there's a spiritual dimension to everything. And most of all money, and there can be a dark spiritual dimension to money, but I think we may have actually found the light spiritual dimension to money 
gosh, after all these thousands of years. And, and um, I, like, I can imagine that there are a lot of secularists that get uncomfortable in talking about Bitcoin in those terms. And I, I myself feel funny talking about it. But gosh, as a, as a Christian man, as a theologically minded, minded man, I can't help but admit that that's a possibility, that there is something divinely ordained about it. And I feel good in my heart saying that, um, which is really exciting that we got here because I wanted to talk about the faith aspect as well. So, so you, you can't have a theological thesis without a secular thesis because, you know, when you think like the, the, the aim, the, the goal of, of, Satan, of the devil, of, of the you, evil you, side of spiritualism. You're, oh, you're, breaking, you're, you're breaking up a bit. Yeah, there you are. Okay. I'm going to restart that sentence. Um, yeah, go ahead. So you, you can't have a theological thesis without a secular thesis. Um, the, the aim of the, the, uh, you know, the dark, the evil side of any spirit, spiritualism um, in Christianity, the devil is, it is secular. It's a secular aim. It's, it's mm. basically a, um, I'm at the same level uh, as God. I don't recognize God. I, I can, I can through, I can, I can do it myself. I can go my own way. I can create this world um, through secular means. And so it makes sense that, you know, when you have a society that turns away from God, um, it, it comes in the form of secular aims uh, that they themselves don't realize they're deceived. They've been enlisted, right, in, in, in these evil ends. And so, I, I, you know, I, I think um, if you just have a theological thesis, like this is evil, um, it's, it's not enough, right? Because, mm-hmm. it, 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 because they, um, like the nature of, of humans is that we believe we're good actors, even when we're, um, when, when we're deceived. Well, and, and so many humans, some humans, I think, I think there is a component of humanity that does the wrong thing because it's the wrong thing because they get perverse pleasure out of human suffering. I think that that is, we don't know anybody like that, but those people exist. Sure. But even they believe that that is good, um, <laughs> to be fair. And, and, well, and, um, okay. like <laughs> they might have aware, they might have awareness that there's no consensus, and, uh, uh, that the consensus doesn't agree with them, but they believe it is good and good and fine to, 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 to do that, to do that. And, and, um, even if they see the fact that society rejects it, um, now, 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 uh, just also you, you mentioned that people, they see Bitcoin and they think they're so mystified by um, the fact that it could actually be money that exists and resists government, like it exists outside of government, it resists government, um, you know, from a software, like a technological point of view, like the technology, the primitives that have existed to, that exist within Bitcoin that, that make Bitcoin possible, like 90% of that has existed um, in the last 15 years. Um, so like, when, when myself and other software engineers, when we're building the distributed systems within sort of the big tech companies that you use every day, we do employ um, consensus algorithms that allow uh, the different parts of these companies to work. Um, the, the, so, so, from, so a lot of what's in Bitcoin existed. Um, the, the big thing is that they, they filled in a couple important gaps um, that really... Uh, um, uh, were needed to ensure that you would only ever have 21 million Bitcoin and that allowed Bitcoin to exist even as the entire world, even as governments were attacking it. So they, mm-hmm. they, they had some groundbreaking discoveries um, that, that filled in those gaps. There were different, there were previous attempts um, in the last 15 years at making 
e-money that just never succeeded because they didn't have the full equation. So um, to, to those that are completely mystified that Bitcoin could exist, like the best way to think about it is that um, it almost existed a few times before because computers have advanced pretty far at building distributed systems. Um, it's just someone finally figured it out. They launched it exactly when we were bailing out the banks. And like this mind virus, it's, it's mind virus is the right word, mm -hmm. wrong word. It's, it, it's this positive re-engineering primitive that's reprogramming the world and has been since um, uh, it was released over a decade ago. And so, mm -hmm. um, like, there really is a wow factor to it, but it is not, you know, I don't think it's out of the purview of what man can do. And so I don't think um, right. some folks who say like Bitcoin is God or something, I think that goes no. too far. That goes way too far. I think, you know, the extent that I'd be willing to tolerate is that um, there's a timing element and that there's a too good to be true element that leads me to believe that it could be intervention, but I would say no more than divine intervention. Right. Um, and, and, and merely because this fiat era, it's in its sunset, they want to extend it into, you know, from kind of covert slavery where it's money printing and you're wondering why you can't retire and you're wondering why your uncle's going back to work and you're wondering why there's so much misery around you. They want to transition that. They want to extend the fiat experiment, transition it into overt slavery where you never, you know, where it's almost like the giver, you never have any real autonomy of self. Um, and I think, uh, the timing that a Bitcoin would come in and unwind that and, and, and everyone who considered themselves a free man could simply choose to go in that direction and not go into the slave cities, not go into this new social scoring governance system. Um, that to me, I have a hard time coming up with a secular, thesis on that. I mean, mm -hmm. simply because reset has happened over and over and there's never been another game to play. Mm. If you were like a little country in El Salvador and you were at the bottom of the monetary order, um, when reset happened, you would play your part, right? So they would tell you, okay, here's what's happening. Here are the narratives. And you would play along because you, you know, if you weren't plugged into the monetary order, then you, you know, your country could collapse. Okay. So you, there was never another game to play. You played along for survival's sake. And they made sure that uh, playing along was attached to survival, that you wouldn't have, they wouldn't be able to deliver you through reset unless you played along. They would ensure that you weren't delivered through. Um, but now all of a sudden, for the first time ever in human history, there's another game. Mm -hmm. There's another game. And families are playing it. Corporations are playing it. Countries are playing it. You're getting a fork in, in, in our species a fork of people who value and protect their time free people and a fork of people who say, I don't value autonomy. I want the state to take care of me. And then of course there's a big gray area of people who have been traumatized. They're terrified. They've been deceived. They've been captured and they're just following the herd for safety's sake. Yep. What's so interesting that you pointed out is all the corporations that own Bitcoin now as sort of, it's like they're hedging, you know, like if, if this is, if this resource re, re, uh, reset is happening in here, we just are chatting about it casually on a podcast, like clearly at the top at the boardrooms of these corporations where they allocate capital, you know, they must be seeing these things too. And you would expect the, the predictive behavior was that they wouldn't invest in Bitcoin, but they are. 
And, uh, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of interesting and provocative because you would expect them pushing the pedal to the metal and going full towards this reset if everything is truly proceeding as planned, but that you have, you have them putting a little handhold, like, well, maybe I'll hold on to this other possibility just in case. Right. I thought, I think that's a really fascinating aspect of what's going on. Yeah. Cause either you, you are essentially relying on a promise from government that they're going to ensure that you're delivered through this chaos. And you might even be, they might even be offering you a forever monopoly. Like you look at Bill Gates, it looks a lot like he's earning a few forever monopolies in soy food. I know that he's purchased over 1% of all the farmland. So, you know, if the government knew that they were going to end up having, um, uh, uh, subsidized food, um, you know, a lot of industry gets created during this. And so like, it looks a little like he's lined himself up to be ready to receive that monop that state provided monopoly. Um, so there's people that are really close to the state that are saying, I'm, I'm betting on the state. You look at Larry Fink, BlackRock. I mean, a lot of people betting on the state because it's such a privileged position to be, to have the monopoly of on force, ensuring that you, you and your heirs are wealthy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, the further away from the, the fountain of, of money printing that you get, the more unsureness that you have. And, 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 you know, so you're like, okay, so I have a promise that if we, you know, do this corporate activism and we fought, you know, do these mandates and blah, 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 that we're going to keep having credit creation. And the further away you get, the more likely you're going to get founders like Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy, who would say, you know, why don't we just buy Bitcoin and not rely on the promise of, uh, of you know, these inflationary governance systems, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just buy Bitcoin, take our future into our own hands, um, provide our shareholders with clarity and certainty. Um, and, and, and courage is contagious. It really is growing. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, people say, Laser, why aren't you why are you so optimistic? And it's because it's not futile. It's, it's beautiful what's happening. You know, we're not unlucky. We're lucky. Um, you know, we're living through the most important 10 years of the next several thousand years. Um, and it's birthing the type of like strong men that can leave this soft era behind. And, and, and Bitcoin is the bedrock. Um, you know, if you, like you said, you could have firearms and to protect your family and you can have, um, a little food forest and chickens to ensure that you have food and you can network in your town, but it, and you can defend all those things, but if you can't defend your time and that's what money is, then that, you know, you can't, then you're always going to be a slave. Whoever commands the world's time owns the world. And it's that realization, you know, God grants the individual divine providence. Are you mm. part of the collective or, or are you going to take your own time into your own hands? Would you be willing to talk a little bit about, uh, about how you found faith? Um, I would be happy to talk about it as well, because I think that's a really interesting conclusion that many men are getting to myself included. I was baptized in September of 2020 and Labor Day weekend actually is one of the best things I ever did. And, and, uh, as a question that I had for you as well, if you'd be willing to discuss, you know, how you found, how you found faith and, and the impact it's had on your life. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about, that. I think, um, you know, when I started studying history, I realized that when these government cycles took place when, when the government was having a bear cycle or another, you know, a government is another word for mankind mm -hmm. because really a government is the reflection of us. We, 
you know, it's easy to blame the government, but the reality is we allowed and created it through our own um, nature, uh, our own security. We basically stood up this, this power state to protect us from existing, the, the, the dangers of existing, and that has led to all this evil. So um, when the government has bear cycles, God has its bull cycle. <laughs> um, faith has a bull cycle. Yeah. When, when mankind has a bear, a great depression, uh, faith has a renaissance. Right. Um, and, and, and because what, essentially what I'm saying is when we realize that all of our secular answers to, God, to God's creation are futile is when we refine God. <laughs> and, yeah. and, like, and, and that's how I, that's how I made my way back to Jesus Christ, back to God is, is in 2020, when the COVID hysteria had, had hit this fever pitch and, and started going 24 seven, I think it was March. Um, it was right after the, the Black Lives Matter, like, um, uh, 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 they had their moment where you had all these young self-identifying communists saying they wanted a revolution. They wanted gulags and they wanted, you know, to remake the U S as this over, um, communist, like, you know, this, this weird world. And, and I was in Washington, actually, the funny thing is I was in an uh, apartment in, um, in the, uh, what was it? The, uh, I forgot what they called it, but they actually turned, you know, it was the first place in the United Chaz. States. That, yeah. It was the Chaz. Yeah. Capital um, Hill. So I was like, yeah, I was living in a little war zone that they like <laughs> declared to be a communist, their own separate communist country. And there were multiple people dying outside where I was sleeping, like within stone's throw every <sighs> night. Um, just because it was this, uh, just this bizarre turn of events. That, and, and it was the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter psyop that, that let, you know, really invigorated this young victim uh, youth, right? Yeah. That that they were being oppressed and it was time to break the chains, no matter the cost, which of course made them open to genocide and open to being demons themselves, right? Uh, mm. uh, sacrifice their own souls. And, and uh, that scared the shit out of me. But <laughs> uh, I started um, reading about history and I, I learned um, in, in the nature of um, communism and, the re- and revolution and genocide and, and the nature of it. And I, and I, I learned that, um, um, you know, that Satan works through like Satan likes sinning sinners and sins, but he really likes crowds. Um, mm. compounding sin is, is where like the biggest harvest of evil is. And, and if you, if you, mm. if you study, um, if you study history, you'll see that, um, genocides all have the same uh, they rhyme. And, um, you know, it's easy when you think of like the Holocaust, you just think, Oh, all those German families were evil and we're not evil. Right. So they, (laughs) right. right? And easy just to think about it in those simplistic terms. Um, but as I studied uh, about, um, Holodomar and the Holocaust and all the, you know, Cambodia, all these genocides, and I realized um, what happens is um, uh, the state, the government, convinces the people that they are a victim in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And then they 
they um, they essentially propagandize. They 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 beat their populace with nonstop propaganda, reinforcing the victimhood until they became a um, enraged victim collective. And when they're enraged as a victim collective, they'll do anything to quote unquote, break the chains to be free again, Mm -hmm. because it's such an injustice. And that's when they'll look the other way slash cheer for a solution to their victimhood, uh, like a final solution. And um, it's the same way over and over again. So in, in Germany, um, after World War One, um, Germany lost. Um, the the German government, um, and so they, they they were losers, and 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 they had no prospects in 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 the future. All the families, so they their their spirits was down because they lost as a country, and their central bank uh, hyperinflated the currency to pay the debts of the war. Mm-hmm. So then they had no money, and they had no industry. Um, and there was, but the only industry that remained after um, World War One were these fascist industries that that basically the state delivered through reset. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what comprised a large part of of those insider industry was uh, intellectuals of, who were largely of Jewish descent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you had a German populace who who was broke, had no future, were losers. And then you had these, this part of the population were these um, foreigners who were, who still had their livelihood. Um, so the German people were victims in, in the true sense of the word. They had their, they had their money stolen by the government. Um, yeah. And the funny thing is, is that the central bank of Germany is, is um, you know, it's, it, 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 it's these families are you know it's it's or maybe the, the right word to say is were of jewish descent i mean i think um the the uh, to, to a large degree um those families are now it's not in it, you know it's it's not really of any uh significant like it's not really worth thinking past that other than to say there it's largely a secular left like a progressive ideology. And so, um, but there's irony in that, in that the, um, those central bankers partnered with the German state to, to um, steal everyone's money to pay for war debt. And um, then the German people became, uh, and then they used uh, like the conservative general Jewish population as a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an irony in that, that this progressive elite who actually conspired with the, with the German state to steal everyone's money actually um, pinned it on the conservative um, middle class um, who still had their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, but so now amongst, so, so you had all that, um, that atmosphere where there was a tension um, and out of that emerged this really incredible orator, a military man, that told these people stories about why they were victims, and it created an, a common enemy amongst people. And, and, and the German people started to believe that they were oppressed and they were victimized and, and they were, um, uh, in all their problems, the source was this common enemy. And, and so they really believed and loved this leader, and that leader ended up being 
Hitler. And he, of course, told them it was the Jews that had stolen their livelihood and stolen their future and had, you know, ruined all the aspects of their, their country and culture. And, and so the German people weren't evil. They believed they were victims deeply and they became an enraged victim, uh, victim collective that, uh, you know, was sold a, a solution to their problems. And they looked the other way because they found their own pain so tolerable that not, not only did they look the other way, they cheered for it. You had yeah. all the whole society cheering for genocide. And, and, and so um, that really affected me <laughs> learning that, <laughs> like, re- mm. like truly realizing the implications of that, that it's not that the German people were evil. It's that they were normal. And if I was in Germany and my family was, we'd more likely be like them than the very few people that helped Jews escape. And, um, and that's the case with every genocide. Um, in Soviet Russia, um, they, they convinced everyone that it wasn't the government that, that partnered with central banks to steal everyone's money and centralize things to launch this experimental form of governance called communism. It wasn't them to blame. It was that the productive class who produced all the goods and services that everyone enjoyed, they were too greedy. They, they stole everyone's wealth and that's why they were victims. That's why they had no prospects. And so the people of Russia became a, a victim, this enraged victim collective and the government just had to keep telling them stories about that. Until, the, until they demanded a, a solution, they demanded the gulags, they demanded genocide because the injustice was too large to tolerate. The chains had to be broken. They had to be free of this evil of their own victimhood. But of course, in reality, they were deceived and they participated in this massive compounded sin event. And, and it's you know, the worst type of evils that our, our species is capable of, these compounded sins, this enslavement, genocide. You know, when you participate in like the creation of mountains of bodies, um, yeah, I just, so I, I, I was researching this stuff in um, March, 2020, as COVID was hitting um, this, this deafening speech. And it just affected me so deeply that I, I actually, <laughs> I became, um, sorrowful and and I, I was in the state of despair because I felt like I had realized such a fundamental truth that um you know I grew up uh, progressive so I I grew up um thinking that science was good and men you know as a, as a collective were generally good and that we've made so much progress as a species and that we actually invented religion ourselves in order to um, scale, scale morality, right? So that we scaled it out across all the people. But now we were moral. We, didn't, we don't need religion anymore. So now it's just holding it back. We need to get rid of it. We don't need faith. We don't need God. We just invented that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually believed that. Um, and it wasn't until the world started falling apart that I realized I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. Excuse my language. Um, okay that that we hadn't learned anything as a species in terms of morality that we that you know history wasn't going to repeat itself it, it's us who does that and it's because um fundamentally there 
I, I didn't understand before, but, but I understood after this research that e evil is easier to casually commit than good. Um, mm -hmm. And when you, and, and the, the craziest things, the most terrifying, harrowing things about our species is that it's not the small evils, even like murder and rape and stuff. And is, 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 um, Horrible as those are, it's the compounded sins. It's it's when it's when crowds of people don't choose to be good. Mm -hmm. um, it creates these uh, these events that are absolutely um, so heavy to understand and to truly understand that not only have we not grown past that, but we're going to do it again. And we and 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 in the context of Black Lives Matter and this COVID thing, I was realizing we might be doing it again now. And so I I just had this <laughs> this weight of everything on of, of all sin on my shoulders is what it mm -hmm. felt like, and I was just in complete despair. And um, I think in that darkest moment, I started to, you know, I I grew up Christian in a Christian family. I rejected it all, but in that moment, I kind of had this weird thought that like. I couldn't tolerate knowing that truth. It was too much to tolerate and it just hurt too much. It gave me too much sorrow. And um, I just had this feeling that if, if I could um, return to Christ or, or that, or somehow I knew I was heading towards Christ and, and because if I did, I could endure that truth and more. I mean, I, not only could I endure that terrible truth, but I could still believe in being good. And it also made sense of, of it because it gave meaning to the, the, the sin. It gave min meaning to the tragedy. So um, it wasn't that long after I started Bitcoin, like that started transforming my value system in terms of responsibility. Then I started seeing the terrible tragedy of man manifest in, in, in reset, manifest in this um, sort of chaotic collapse of society that we're, we're experiencing that... Um, you know, it had to have meaning because if it didn't, I probably would have killed myself, to be honest, because um, to real, if, if I stayed um, this atheist, secular, progressive view, it would mean that humankinds were worthless. Mm -hmm. It would mean that humankinds, um, that, that the best thing for Earth would be to eliminate as, as many humans as possible. That's what the progressive conclusion of genocide is, or at least destroy free will to restrain um, what we're capable of. Um, and I, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a stubborn, strong, value-minded person. And that obviously, even to a secular person is hell incarnate. Like that's hell itself, that conclusion. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of just, I had a tragedy of, of, um, of existence because I, I, um, I had stumbled into this, this, irreconcilable truth that without you know being on the same team as 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 god and jesus christ i couldn't carry that i couldn't see the point in that but once i recognized it and 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 sort of allowed myself to be taken in that direction it started to make sense of everything because i could come up with a theological answer for why um why we have to endure ourselves or our, why we have to endure the, the tragedy of our own limitations and the tragedy of being it, it's. And, and that answer is that, well, well, God tried to create 
a company um and and that company was Satan, <laughs> and he thought he was God's equal, and he didn't understand the cost of sin. He didn't understand why God hated it so much, and so he was a spoiled child that tried to create, that tried to be on the same level and didn't appreciate what it was all for. And so God created us on earth, limited, finite, so that we could experience the result of that limitation. And we could experience sin because it would all flow from us and that we would see the cost of that. And when you truly understood the cost of sin, um, it would be intolerable. Mm -hmm. It would be terrifying. And, and that would make you appreciate in the smallest sense, God's feeling about sin. And, but even bigger than that, you would realize that it's all worth it. It's all worth it because even the even the smallest amount of good outshines all of that, and um, the propensity to commit this absolute staggering tragedy is made up by the fact that these little glimpses of good that we get to see, and and that when you orient yourself towards it, it really is precious and worthwhile, and 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 that you can endure the atrocity of existence, and you can. Um, you know, uh, Nietzsche said, like, um, he, 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 he began believing the value of a man is, is in how much truth he can bear, how much truth he can dare. <laughs> and I think I kind of had that Nietzschean moment where I was like, you know, how much truth can I dare? How much truth can I bear? Um, and and the, the, the truth is, is, is that, you know, e evil is easy. Good is hard. It, evil is scary, not because it takes someone evil to do it. It's scary because you could do it without thinking about it too much. Um, and so that's kind of my story, how I ended up realizing that, you know, I, it's not that I found Christ. It's like he was there when, um, when I realized the cost of sin and I re and I knew that like this decade, we, you know, in 2020, when this happened, I knew I hadn't seen nothing yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I just knew in the, in the pit of my stomach, this whole decade was going to be um, trials and tribulations. But, but uh, Jesus said, you know, take heart because, you know, in this world, you will have tribulations, but uh, I've overcome the world. And uh, so, yeah, you know, that gave me strength. It gives me strength. And, and, you know, Bitcoin is very aligned with God in the sense that God gives the individual divine providence. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it's, Satan really is the collective consuming the individual, consuming the family. Be, you know, that when I connected that, that um, the worst, you know, the, the biggest boon, the biggest harvest for Satan is collective sin, compounding sin, right? Then of course, what biggest heart, what bigger harvest, you know, you, you look at this great reset and then to a certain degree, these high-tech governance systems, they scream revelations because inescapable biometrics. Yeah. So an ID that you can't escape from and you can't, you can't uh, conduct trade. You can't buy or sell without it. You get ejected from society algorithmically, automatically. It's not even by a human at that point. Um, you know, so of course, so of course, collectivism is is the ultimate 
strategy of if your if your aim is to capture the human spirit. And so I realized, you know, there is no left and right. There's no conservative and progressive. There's only um, there's only uh, collectivism, like collectivist pathology, versus the justice of the individual, the protection of the preservation of the individual. Because we're never going to eliminate the we're never going to eliminate the 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 limitations of of our own existence. We're never going to eliminate the tragedy of being. In fact, what we're supposed to do is grow mature enough that we can appreciate the tragedy of being. That we can appreciate that it's there for a reason. Um, and not try and overcome it at the expense of free will. Which is always the cost, right? So the idea, the idea is that uh, here so much, my, my favorite theme about Christianity is the one of redemption. The notion that, you know, evil can enter the world and, uh, you know, God through the petition with human participation can take that evil and turn it to a greater good than it would have otherwise existed. Um, and we see this, you know, we see this in the fall, right? So like evil enters the world through sin, Adam and Eve eat the apple, we fall. And then uh, Jesus Christ comes to redeem humanity through his death and resurrection. And that that is a more beautiful story than if evil had never entered the world at all. That it's a more glorious story than if like, oh, we had just stayed in the garden and, and everything and everything was cool. And that requires to believe that that's how the universe works. And I can see redemption showing up in my life a thousand different ways. And I'm sure that you can see it as well. So many mistakes that I've made in my life that, my God, how did that get turned to the good? That's in some sense, the core story of my life. But that requires a degree of faith that there is an, or, there is an, a, the universe has been ordered, has been divinely ordained in a specific way that redemption is real, that the possibility is woven into the fabric of existence. Like you can't look at redemption, you can't measure it, um, but it is there for those who choose to look, but that requires believing in a God. That implies, that implies believing that that was woven into reality because there's no reason why redemption should otherwise exist. And so to, to, to grant that, to grant that that's a possibility, to grant that redemption is real, requires faith. It requires surrender of the self. It requires surrender of the mind to comprehend it because redemption doesn't come through predicted channels. You can't run the math on redemption. You just participate in the process day by day, and then suddenly you're on the other side of it. And, you know, like, like for example, cancer patients, you know, who, who go into remission, they, they usually say the same thing, which is like, I would never wish it on, on anybody, but I'm glad it happened. And that's redemption. That's this idea that I went through this terrible thing that no one should have to go through, but I'm, I'm better for it. But that requires faith. And for some people, <clears throat> they just can't get there. They're, they're unable to get there. They're unable to surrender to that reality. So rather than trusting in the existence of some cosmic justice, they need to bring justice down to the earth right now. And the only way that you can bring justice down to the earth right now is with a, an iron fist and a boot that sacrifices human free will because, you know, that's where f people's choices create suffering. And if you don't believe that suffering has meaning, you seek to eliminate it. And if you're going to eliminate suffering, you have to, if you're going to eliminate suffering, you have to eliminate human free will. 
And that's the theological argument that stands, the anti-theological argument that stands in, in contrast to the, the very message of Jesus Christ, which is like this horrible event. You know, the, the story is that this is a man who was the most perfect man who existed of all time, kind, generous, loving, wise, fierce, strong, and he died a death of such catastrophic suffering that we can't even imagine it. And that that was the man who died, but something beautiful came through that. And I find so much beauty and peace in that to know that the suffering that we're going through, that we go through individually and that we're going through collectively, you know, as we almost started out saying, can birth something so much better. But you can only get there with faith. You can't get there rationally. You can only get there with faith. If, if God wanted to raise up, if everything was downstream of creation, mm-hmm. including Satan and hell, including suffering, and and the aim was to raise up a people, raise up a people that understood you. And you inherently, you hated, you know, you were, you were good. You were the essence of good. You were, then how would you teach good? How, 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 would, how would you raise up a people that knew good? And, and, you know, Lucifer didn't work. He didn't, he didn't know evil enough. He became it. He was secular and he didn't understand the cost of sin. No, therefore, he couldn't value good. And, and, and so this world is a fallen world that has inherent limitations. Like we, we live, we die, there's entropy. It's hard. It's, it's a harsh, uh, there's lots of constraints that make suffering just unavoidable, no matter what. But then there's all this suffering and tragedy that extends from our own sins. Um, what better way to raise up a people than to allow them, or, or what other way is even a better question than to allow them to experience that which you hate so that you could ultimately understand that which you value. Mm-hmm. You have to contrast it. So it's all a gift, um, even genocide. And that's the, the crazy thing yeah. is that all the terrible atrocities that we commit, that's not God's creation in that sense. God gave us free will. Um, knowing the cost, that's how much he loved us because it would let him raise up a people that understood it, that got it, that connected those dots. And so like the phases as a Christian, you kind of, you know, when you're, you're, you're adolescent, you, you're, you're angry at God for creating you. Life's not fair. It's not fair. You're being forced into the world. You see all these evil things. Why would he allow that? Um, and, and then you kind of, as you take up responsibility, Instead of making, you know, wrapping the world in bubble wrap, you make yourself tougher, right? You accept that, uh, the, being, the tra- the, you accept the tragedy of being, you accept suffering, but by, by raising yourself up, building yourself up, you can tolerate it, endure it, and still create these moments of good where you can participate in good and see it, see the value of it. Um, and then despite how easy it would be to be a, a schmuck and live a lowly life and just choose selfish no responsibility, choose evil. Because again, all the people participating in vaccine imperialism, they're not doing explicit individual evils. They're participating in compounding sin that's creating the worst type of atrocity that our species can produce. Mm-hmm. So, so it takes a lot of constitution of self to, because you're bearing liability when you say no to that, right? So you really understand something about the cost of sin. When you fight for freedom, when you fight for individuals, when you say you put yourself in the line and say, no, the power of no. 
and, and and that's why you know Jordan Peterson talks about like the wisdom of the old Christian stories. You know, that's where the West is born. It's like we, we're losing that wisdom, and we're and we're we're devolving into this collective pathology. And and a lot of people think, you know, this is end of time stuff. And and you know, I I'm hesitant to say this is end of times. And, and the reason is is that I think every era. If you're Christian, it always looks like end of times to you. Like, <laughs> like it always, you can always create the story of, look, uh, this is end of times. And, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to say it is, I, I would say, I absolutely think there's merit to those drawing parallels. Mm-hmm. And, but I would also say there's a lot of signals that suggest that the human story is not over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something like a Bitcoin, which completely inverts society, it completely inverts it. I think something like that is a very strong su- signal that suggests that there's another era that we're on, that we're on the cusp of, and that's something to celebrate and be excited about because it means that um, you know, as a species, you know, we're this this problem solving function that's reaching out for something. I mean, I hope we're we're stumbling towards the kingdom of God, right? Like hope maybe mm-hmm. that's the purpose of, of the function. And, and so we're making all these mistakes. And the idea is, is that how far can we reach out without destroying ourselves, right? How far can we reach out and how much can we learn about the cost of sin? How much sin can we endure? How much good can we access? That's the human function. And I don't think we're done. And that's why I don't think there's a, you know, I don't think we go from, 9 billion to 1 billion people overnight. Um, w- w- would God find it acceptable if we went to 9 billion to 1 billion overnight or in 100 years? I think probably, mm-hmm. probably. It's, 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 the tragedy is, is, is an acceptable cost to raising up a people. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a cost that we are, that's flowing from us. It's not flowing from him. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's a tragedy yeah. of man, not a tragedy of God. God gave, created man so that we could figure that out. We could figure out the, the value of God. And so, um, you know, this is why I can't help but connect Bitcoin to divine providence because something that lets the, the pathological collective of all the governments and all the, the weapons in the world that lets you and your little family say no and pr- protect your time and protect your future. What is that? And it's coming in at this exact time, mm-hmm. <laughs> this exact time when we might enslave the species and, and, and turn, turn us into lab rat. What yeah. is that? Right. How is that not? Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. The, the solving, the solve the Byzantine generals problem, the solving of this intractable problem, the anonymity of Satoshi, all these things, they all have this, they all have this character that it's like, it's hard not to look at it and, and see something see a little wink behind it or a twinkle on it or something. And, and I resist, I resist that notion. I don't know why, but I, I still feel like, oh no, that, that can't be it. But like, why can't it? You know, like, like the, these things, they don't happen because of God, but God allows them. And so when you said God lifted his finger, like God didn't, you know, God didn't necessarily write it, he, but he allowed it to come into existence when it could have come in sooner or could have come in some other form, but it came in through this form right when we needed it. How can that not be some form of providence at minimum? It's, um, I mean, he certainly knew it. I struggled with like, 
if we have free will, how does he know? How does the book of lambs exist? How, how does he know um, who, who goes, who ultimately ends up and, you know, around him in heaven and not. And, and uh, my, my father said it, my dad said it really well. He said, um, uh, uh, it, it's, he's not on the same uh, uh, timescale as us. So you do have free will and he does know. <laughs> and I went, oh, <laughs> right. He, he knows what your free will will be. It doesn't mean you don't have it. Mm-hmm. So he can know, you know, God would know that Bitcoin was going to happen. And it plays out perfectly um, the way that this human story is playing out. And, and, you know, when the base primitive that the entire world is built on inverts the power structure away from monopolizing force and money and towards, you know, you essentially lift families to the top of society. You become a, a world of governments and that is replaced by a world of families. And, and all the problems that central bankers are hysterical about um, are actually solved by Bitcoin. Like this, this overpopulation where um, the only answer is that we have population control. It's like, no, you need to reintroduce constraint in terms of finite money because if mm-hmm. you cannot support an unlimited um, uh, 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 nanny state if the only, like if you as a man you had a career and you made a judgment call based on your your bitcoin how much you can afford you might decide I'm not going to have a family I can't afford one right and much of the world will not be able to afford a family and that would be a judgment call and that would basically surface the most productive people mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's not equitable. It's a fair distribution of, because, you know, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. And then your suffering goes through the roof, right? Because now you're contending with the reality of your, of your irresponsible decisions, mm-hmm. as opposed to them being smoothed over by a nanny state, right? Oh, your yeah. sins are forgiven because we're using you in order to centralize all the wealth in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In, uh, in the case of if there's like over pollution, right? When it's families, uh, fiscal actions, when, you're, when your financial actions are, are a bigger vote than actual voting, where voting has been de-emphasized because how Bitcoin is spent supersedes that because that's what drives the world, then consumers reward and penalize which companies should exist. So if, 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 um, pollution is an issue. Consumers penalize them and reward the non-polluters. That creates alpha for entrepreneurs. So as an entrepreneur, you get that signal in the market and you go, oh man, let's create a company that, that's clean and, then, you know, and does X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Compared to the current system where if you are cozied up to the state, you get bailed out, the consumer doesn't have a vote. That's right. Because it's the it's the socialism of the rich, where as long as you're close to the money printer, so it's, it's, it's that concentration of power is what gives you continuity as opposed to consumer preferences. And of course, consumers want a clean, unpolluted world. Right. Right. Um, if, if, you know, if we're so soft as a people that we can't tolerate the flu and that kills off a million people a year, because our immune systems are completely destroyed 
by factory food, hidden estrogens, um, systemic inflammation from vegetable oil, right? Like if, you know, none of us are in the sun or, and we all think it's like skin cancer, we're putting on these, these products that, that, you know, sunscreens and, and um, all these hormone disruptors. So our health is to such a degree that um, when a flu comes around, it really is a pandemic, like it really is a fear event that's, that's planetary because, we're, you know, we're in such a terrible space. And that's because they've had to hollow out food to offset money printing because if all the wealth's being concentrated, then companies have no choice but to figure out how to make the, the, the food cheaper so that it doesn't, so that it still has a market, right? Right. But if in, right, so then they're hollowing out food, figuring out methods, how to strip mine the earth there, you know, you're doing this monocropping and trying to maximize yield, but you're just stealing from the future because you're destroying the topsoil. You're destroying the, 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 the genetic uh, makeup of, of these important species that we rely on. So that's all from money printing. If you put hard money, Bitcoin in families, uh, uh, you swap out, you know, you reprogram the world in Bitcoin. People are now thinking of, their family on the order of centuries. You're thinking of health. You're thinking of preserving your assets, preserving the earth, regenerating the earth, right? Because you know, um, you you know, you don't have to make food cheaper. You and people are going to vote in terms of quality, no longer quantity, right? Because they're going to say, "I want prime rib, and I want it from cows that are that are farmed in the regenerative fashion, so that my son." have access to highly fertile soil so that they can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And you actually have the financial stability and family constitution that you could make these decisions and vote in that way. Instead of being on the, the, the rat race, you're on the hamster wheel, just hoping that you have enough fiat to retire and seeing that disappear. So you're so obsessed with that, you have no chance to actually look at the food. Um, so in, in, in every store, you know, if, if, if the monetary system truly is racist and that's intolerable, it's not create this, this global communism where everybody's, you know, a comrade. That's not the way to make things fair for everyone. The, the best thing is to make a money that can't be censored so that no one, despite their, their, their race or creed or religion or, or color or, or gender, can be denied the ability to store indefinitely their time and spend it without anyone stopping them. That is the way that you solve this global discrimination issue. If, if it really is. The, so all of these Malthusian fear spells, the thing, the reason that you know that they're deception is that um, Bitcoin solves every one of them, but it means that they have to give up planetary usury and mm -hmm. they won't. Yep. Yep. That's what I, that's what I always say. Like if black lives matter was really serious about ending slavery, like why don't they protest outside the fed? <laughs> like, you know, you know, you have no idea the nature of the problem that you're talking about or you're, 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 you know, trained Marxists. So that's why you're not actually going to the source of the problem. Yeah. And I want, I want to get Bitcoin into the, the hands of black lives matter and in the hands of black families who realize that like, Dude, yes. they've been keeping the money for us. They've been keeping us in this welfare system. We can be entrepreneurs. We're, we can do that. We can build businesses in our communities. We can raise each other up and we can, we can attract unstoppable wealth and create, you know, we can, we can dig our way out of this through unstoppable money. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, you know, we've, same thing like with Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union, we've convinced them that it's actually, um, uh, path, you know, it's, it's this parasitical 
capitalist system that's keeping them down. It has nothing to do with money that you can't hold in your hand for five seconds before it disintegrates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you know, you look at you know, I was talking about genocide. You look at um, what what is the shape of this uh, COVID thing, right? You know, the vax versus the unvax. You have all these people who who you know got on the 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 uh, the vaccine train. I uh, I call it the the adjuvant express. <laughs> That's great. Um, and uh, and so you know, of course, and, and it's been hugely emasculating to every man, right? Everyone with a family or wife, you've you, you've had your manhood stolen from you because they made you capitulate in fear. You folded. Now you've given the state the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Of your all your affairs internally in your family and without. So you're no longer the man, and um. And now, of course, you're embarrassed and pissed off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're pissed off. And anything they tell you about why you're a victim, oh, I see, there's this other part of the country that's not going along with it. So now I can never escape it. Of course, you see people on videos losing their fucking mind. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it, it, they, you know, it's the same thing like the Germans and the, the Russians is at some point they're going to say whatever we need to do break these chains let's go final solution sign me up let's get rid of these people and and you know that's how these things happen and and i don't you know in a weird way like it didn't take many of us on twitter talking about the great reset for long to to spread that signal enough where um people are kind of connecting the dots and you know with Omicron, like it seemed like it kind of fell apart, you know, like it's not mm-hmm. quite strong enough to keep the fear going. So they have a problem, like from, okay, from the statesman's point of view, they have a real problem, right? Because they need us on house arrest, essentially, right? They need, they need control of the population. That's a good way to put it. And they need us not communicating uh, clearly this mm-hmm. decade. And so if, if COVID kind of falls, that hysteria loop falls apart, they really do have to replace it. And, and so like, I'm torn, right? Cause uh, you know, a, a part of me is like, good riddance. I'm, <laughs> I'm so done with this COVID thing. And, and, and the vaccine imperialism uh, terrifies me and, and the, the mRNA duplex and this transhumanism industry. Um, but at the same time, I, it doesn't seem like, you know, they're below the, they're, right now they're below the threshold of hysteria required. So that's, a, you know, to me, that's like red light blinking because that means they have to do something. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Is it, is it a new designer virus? Is it, um, is it pivot to, um, uh, 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 you know, you know, NATO false flagging itself in Ukraine and starting a, a, a war with Russia? Is it, you know, that, is it a cyber war that they say, okay, now we're in a cyber war with Russia. So now let's get a move on with internet passports, right? Because we kind of half stood up the movement passports. Let's get internet passports half stood up. I see the IRS saying that you need digital identity now, so you're going to scan your face when you pay your taxes, right? So you see the Fed saying that um, CBDCs are on the horizon. So you see the pieces coming in. Um, this decade, they're going to have to get each, one, each pillar stood up. And you know what scares me the most is if they don't succeed, I think in their back pocket is old faithful. I think it is hot war. Yeah. Um, and so part of me, I think the most probable thing is the great reset succeeds. They actually succeed in standing up this social scoring system. 
but they lose a good deal of brilliant capitalists who opt out and go to onwards to create a Bitcoin renaissance um, in a parallel system that actually acts as a brain drain and unwinds um, this, this, this high-tech communism. And the reason I think that is that, um, well, history has shown these communist um, uh, uh, deployments, they can't insulate themselves from the world economy. And because communism is two-tiered, you have a, a surf tier, but then you actually have above it a capitalist tier, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah. you know, they would actually play into Bitcoin's game theory because they have extremely strong incentives to protect their wealth for almost no cost. Um, uh, and like you said, like the, the resist, you know, the, the, the allure of the, of the, of the people, the moneyed people to say, Oh, why don't I hold a little? Because like, I don't want to bet everything on this, this partnership with the government. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to guarantee I can hand this to my great, great grandchildren and know it'll be worth this and more. Um, so that game theory, it's, it basically, it, it makes it where even if they deployed these mega cities with this high tech communism, um, they themselves in their own materials in the great reset um, materials, they know that they end up with defectors that, that leave the system. So I, I think the way it plays out is the great reset, like they get it off the ground this decade. A lot of us have left and gone to um, little sovereign cities like El Salvador's launching um, their volcano Bitcoin city. Um, I think you're going to end up with a bunch of those in LATAM. I think you'll get a handful in the West. Um, and I think a lot of the, the best capitalists, the most productive, you know, get excited and it creates this flourishing feedback. And I think that just, is, it's a brain drain. And I think it eventually attracts the, the, the upper caste of this communist central banking system. And, and I think it ultimately uh, collapses or at least unwinds that system. Um, if there's a population control bit, um, I think it would be them tuning, like dialing down their own surf class. And I think the people that opt out are going to opt out of vaccines, opt out of uh, factory food, and, and basically start over on first principles mm-hmm. um, and keep, keep the good stuff, keep the, 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 hard, the hard tech. Um, so the, like that, that's my, my base thesis, which is to say, you know, it's not, Bitcoin doesn't win um, this decade. I think it, it wins in the end. And I think it's up to every family to choose, like, are, are you led into that great reset system? Or do you say, no, nah, we've had enough. I'm going to defend my time. I'm going to defend my family. I'm going to defend my kids from government schools and injections. And I'm going to go in another direction. And I'll find my people and there will be flourishing and that'll, that'll grow itself. And I think you get the Bitcoin Renaissance. I think the, uh, you know, the, the, the great reset doesn't need our help to fail, right? Yes. Like w- w- what I'm trying to do is help people get out of the blast radius. You know, that the, the fiat era, this agenda is dumb and destined to fail. So you might as well start kicking ass in the Bitcoin era. Mm. Amen. Amen. Because this raises, I mean, this raises the question of like, where does the hard power come from? And I don't think there's enough hard power to stop those of us who want to leave from leaving. I just, it's just not there. It's just not there. Like, what are you going to, like, if you can't exert control over a man with his mind or his heart, which is why, why men like us are talking is our minds have been freed. 
our hearts have been freed and we're, we're freeing our bodies as well from soy and, and, and all of that and uh, vaccines and medicines and all that. If you've, if you've liberated and even you're, you're free in spirit as well, which, um, which I think is a big part of, of the Christian revival as well. The last thing that you need really to be free is, is your money is you need to be able to take it with you when you leave. And if you're going to do that, if you're free in all those, in all of those dimensions, there's not enough hard power to stop. There's not enough hard power to stop it. You know, I, I think there's nothing more masculine than God. There's nothing more masculine than creation. I, I think that the responsibility of being a man, it, it requires, it requires the ability to provide, protect, provide for your family, protect your wealth. Um, you know, Bitcoin really is God's money in my mind. It, it just in, it, it, it imbues yeah. every single person on earth with, um, with the ability to save, the ability to participate in a brand new um, global economy that can't be controlled by governments and can't, and, and it fundamentally thwarts this communist um, hellscape that they're trying to, land, to launch. Yes. And it's honest. And it's honest. You know, you've got the, you've got this worldwide ledger that says who's got what everywhere and you can't rewrite it and you can't fake it. Ever, I mean, you don't necessarily know what everyone has, but you know that these transactions are honest and open and the clear. And that's, that I think is especially powerful. It mirrors nature in the sense that it's honest and it's, it's, it's harsh. Like nature is harsh in the sense that um, there really are winners and losers. It really depends on what you, you know, you are no longer, there's, there's nothing between you and your responsibility to provide as a man in a Bitcoin system. You have a responsibility to plan and think about your family, think about your family name on the order of centuries, um, think about skills. Um, there's no nanny state in a Bitcoin era that can, that can float you. Mm-hmm. And, and that really, you can't get closer to God's intention than essentially um, having no insulation against nature other than your own sweat and, and your own effort to not only build yourself up, build your family up, but to build your community up, to collaborate and, 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 and not take for granted that everything that you enjoy, it's not just coming from money printing in some magical you know, mm-hmm. power of the government, right? You, you understand that wealth can be, you know, by default, we're, we're all poor, right? Capitalism is just a, a, a monetary word for when we, when we help each other, we create wealth, hmm. right? When we come together and we solve each other's problems, wealth is created. And so, yes, some people get wealthier, have more means, and they also have, theologically speaking, a lot more responsibility yes. to deploy those means. At the same time, the more people that participate, the bigger the pie and the bigger everyone's pieces are in terms of what they can access goods and services. So money is, you know, there's a reason they say money is evil is because, you know, it corrupts, right? So the more you have, the, um, the, the more likely you are to be derelict in your responsibility of what money is. Money is stored time, other people's time. I mean, you know, that's what it really, it gives you access to other people's time. So you trade your 
your effort, you store that in something that lets you access everyone else's effort. The more you have of that, of course, from, from God's point of view, it's like, listen, you have a huge responsibility to do good. Right. And, and that's why in the Bible, they say like, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's better just to give it away um, and do charity with it because very few can actually manage the responsibility of, of commanding so much time of others. Right. Mm. It, doesn't, it doesn't mean money is necessarily evil. It just means if you command the time of others, you have a huge theological responsibility to do good in the world. And this gets to the, one of the points that I was thinking, like, it's really important, like Bitcoin may be from God, but it's important not to make Bitcoin into God. That, you know, this amazing responsibility of freedom that we've been granted with Bitcoin comes with an, an, an equally enormous amount of responsibility to deploy it in a way better than we've done with the fiat system. That if there are those that have more, that they have an, they have an equal, because there's no nanny state to manage their use of those resources, that they have an internal moral responsibility to care for their community in a way that maybe they didn't feel with the nanny state that was taking their taxes and redistributing it to communities of lesser, of lesser needs. Like, no, we're not going to have that anymore. It's going to be on you to, to, to choose a higher morality and to live in alignment with that higher morality because you know it comes from God because you've been given this gift, this gift of monetary freedom. So what are you going to do with it? Yeah, charity makes a comeback because, yeah, you nailed it. Because in, instead of assuming it's kind of handled because the, the society we've erected allows for, uh, you know, people genuinely in need and freeloafers alike to, to, to sort of access your, your effort through the state and that goes away. And, and, and in a way, you know, they, you know, they, they say Jesus brings the sword. I mean, so, so, okay. Uh, a little intervention means that man can no longer control money. And that's great because it means the human story can continue and the, you know, everyone gets their hero's uh, uh, journey and gets to find out uh, the, the tragedy of life and build themselves up and gets to experience, you know, uh, bits of good that make it all worthwhile. But at the same time, man no longer controls money, right? So you got <laughs> you got to mm-hmm. think about that has an, that has another side to it, which is the the wealth distribution inherent in the state. Um, for all the evil it provides, um, there's some utility in it, and 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 we were to be in a Bitcoin era much closer to the reality of nature, and that's gonna that's gonna have it's gonna create an opposite shaped society, I should say. An opposite shape. It'll probably be closer to like a a high tech geeky feudalism, where you essentially have um, uh, uh, sort of wealthy, well known families that conduct industry, own um, technology, own robotics, and this and that, and then you'll have a people that aggregate around those families, and, and that'll probably happen during in these, in the Renaissance, in these city states, right? Like it's, it's, it's honestly, it's not so different than, um, you have the fall of Rome, you had the dark ages, you had the Renaissance, you know, we kind of had this, um, era of the, of, of peak government, um, this fiat era, kind of like the dumb ages. And then we'll go into the Bitcoin Renaissance. And, and even though you're, you're relieved of the worst parts of the dumb of, of, of the you know era of the state in the dumb ages. I love um, it. It inverts it inverts the structure. So like, okay, you're relieved, you have wealth, but now how are all the goods and services going to exist on Earth? And now you have a new strategy of how do you 
uh, build a society on this unconfiscatable, unstoppable money, right? So it's, it's it, you know, you shouldn't um, idolize Bitcoin in the sense that it's not going to solve every problem. It's going to invert the, pro- the, the like the problem sphere, right? And, and that's very good because we don't want the human spirit to be captured just yet. Like ideally this experiment kept going and, you know, you get to experience the joy of children in the future, right? Like mm-hmm. that's really good, but um, we shouldn't, t- uh, we shouldn't underthink it. It, it, we, we should recognize that, well, well um, you should hypothesize through what are the opposite shape problems of, of not being able to print money? Because, you know, um, society doesn't tolerate a 90% tax rate. Society will topple a government that taxes at 90% for too long. So, um, you know, it, that's what happened to Rome. Rome gradually increased debasement and, and taxation. And when they couldn't, when they basically lost control of their monetary health, um, they had like a 500 year fall. Right. Mm -hmm. And and it wasn't until, it wasn't until centuries that the Renaissance happened. Right. So that, that's no picnic. Right. And, and I think technology speeds everything up by, you know, so it could be that back then it took, you know, 550 years to get to the Renaissance and maybe now it'll take 30. Right. Because, um, uh, technology has this exponential effect on progress. Um, but I, I think that uh, tribulation really is the right word for this decade and the coming decades. But, um, you know, take heart uh, because uh, he has overcome the world. And, and um, I think we're just living through that story. So, so from my point of view, it's like, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm psyched. I feel so grateful to be alive. It's, 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 there's never been a more interesting time to be alive. We're all on, on Twitter and doing cats. We're just, you know, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's like the first world war from our couches. You get to talk about it every day. Um, it's really unique and um, don't get wrapped up in your own misery and your own victimhood. Like this is creating you. This is what's making you the type of strong man that can actually leave this soft era behind. And you should be grateful for that because what were you before all this, all these trials? What were you before you were tested and and tried and pushed to your limit? Amazing. I agree a thousand percent that past the, the black pills and the fear spells and the, and the victimhood and, and the tension, there's an enormous opportunity that we're all living through to, to create ourselves, to be created, to be shaped into a more righteous, upright, masculine kind of direction. And that's the real blessing of this age that we, that we get to live through. And it's vital to keep that perspective. And I love how you said that these next 10 years could determine the shape of the future thousands. Like that's some profound, that's some profound shit. If you pardon my language. God bless. Well, this was a, it was a dream and, and I hope this is valuable for your listeners. Oh man, <laughs> you know, I've gotten so much value out of it. I think, uh, I think all the men listening will as well. May I ask you one more question? Yeah, let's close on this one. Okay, perfect. What was it? So you grew up Christian in a Christian household and you left the faith and you pursued a secular, um, a secular materialist atheist path. What was it like coming back to faith and speaking to your father about that? Mm. So I was, you know, I, I was in a 
a family that uh, had a divorce. So I was in a split family. And so I had extra, um, I, I had a, a, a struggle and a challenge with um, like an, like an fundamentally like an insecurity of self. Cause I had like motherly abandonment issues. And then um, on my, my father's side, like I, I didn't get the kind of, and I think a lot of men are like this, like you, you don't get the, the, the principles and responsibility specifically of masculinity passed on to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, you're, you're feminized in culture. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I, I kind of came into the world as like, um, without, without frame, masculine frame and, and, um, victim to the, the kind of this, this feminine frame of authority um, I, I was very, um, like rebellious against, uh, like my stepmom and, and rebel, you know, just a rebellious person in general. And so I was like this punk rock, um, you know, I, I did drugs and I partied and, but I was always smart. Like I always did my, my homework and my projects on the, on like the school bus the day of, and, and I <laughs> did really well in school and I graduated high school early and, um, but dropped out of college in the first year to start a tech company with my uh, best friend who I grew up with. And, and, you know, we always had this, you know, F the world attitude and, but we, we worked hard and played hard. And, and so, you know, I just kind of discarded because, you know, I was surrounded in sinners and, and, and they did a very bad job of selling faith to me. And so I just assumed, you know, like, Oh, you know, this isn't the way, right. There's a new way. There's a secular way. There's a, there's a way based on, progress and, and, and modernity and liberalism. And I just, you know, that was really alluring to me, um, the, the, the values of progressivism. And, and this is back when it was more just like liberalism it was a lot more centrist and it didn't have the, the Marxist slant to it and yeah. the, the communist slant to it. That's pretty new. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, it, it's, my, I always just like cut my parents off and said like, you know, don't talk to me about faith or God, I don't want to hear this bullshit. And um, eventually they learned to respect it. And, and, and they were surprised when I kind of came back uh, recently and, and to hear that I had found faith and wanted to know the story. And, and, and it was really different than what they described because they were just, you know, culturally religious, right? Their parents taught them. And so they just carried on culturally. And I think that actually explains um, a lot because if you, if you subscribe to like the fourth turning uh, macro thesis, it would say you have a, a, an era of like weak men that create hard times and, mm-hmm. that, and that eventually you get an era of hard men. And it would make sense that like the weak men would, would, would understand the how, but forget the why. And because they forgot the why they wouldn't be able to pass along the, the value proposition of, of the church of the faith, whatever you name it across mm-hmm. society. And then you get a, a, a couple of generations of disenfranchised youth that uh, make a huge mess of society because they don't know anything because mm-hmm. the knowledge has been lost. Um, and then finally you have people that, that come up and they have to learn the hard way by bearing the cost and re putting back together the truth. And so um, I was able to um, make sense of it through that, that it wasn't that they were particularly bad. It was that there was a larger societal thing that that money printing has disenfranchised um, the family has, has has eliminated so many responsibilities that 
and, and hardships that people have become disconnected with the why behind faith. And, and so they, they wouldn't know what to pass on to me. And, and they didn't. And, and, and so, so inherently, it, it wasn't sticky. I didn't have any stickiness. And it was more sticky to me to go out around people who were producing companies and working on problems. That was sticky to me. Science, like in the old days, when it was the scientific method and about making discoveries, like that was sticky to me. I, you know, I, I thought that was so awesome. And, and um, of course, you know, I told the story how when it all fell apart, I re- then I got the why. I finally got the answer, the why. And um, I brought that home. And when I told the story, they were, they, it, it, it's hard to describe it other than I don't think they could relate. Mm. Um, I don't think they could relate. And, and so maybe that's a gift of our generation is that we're experiencing the cost in a very special and personal way because it's our future. It's our future that's, that's being um, put on the line. And, and, and in us is, is the, the future of mankind, right? You, you know, people in their 30s and 20s. And, in late teens and, um, and the children coming up. And so we feel that pain. You see these, these kids like being forced to, you know, babies being given vaccines and stuff. And, and so, um, I felt the cost so personally that even when I communicated the story, it's like, you know, they're retired and kind of had an easy way of it compared comparatively. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, you know, I don't think they really related, but I think that, you know, that, of course, any, Christian parents are going to be happy their kid found God. So I think uh, they're, they're psyched. And, and um, yeah, in a way, it's like, I don't feel bad for them, but I, it really made me realize how lucky we are to have the why, have it be so tangible, it's so potent that I could, I'm going to carry that the rest of my life and I'll be able to communicate that clearly to my kids so that I'm not just saying this is what we do this is how we live I can teach them from the point of view of look at what we're capable of and that's why you know teach them the cost of turning away from God and teach them and and, and through that you can teach the value of turning towards God um and I think I, I think we just we lost touch with that. And, and, and so history won't repeat itself. We'll repeat it. We, every once in a while, teach ourselves to remember God, I guess, is, is, is what it is. And so I'm, you know, there's going to be a generational thing where there's a rhythm where, where certain generations aren't going to see what you see. And uh, hmm. that, that's how I experienced it. But yeah, I mean, they're thrilled and psyched. Christian son, especially because like I was, I was rebellious and flaunting. So I was listening to death metal and, you know, and, and I had, you know, all this like Satanist fashion and stuff that it was, um, it was not because it was Satan worship because it was fashionable and part of the culture of, of secular metal. And, and, you know, in the same way that, um, um, you know, when they, the, the central banks have their Luciferian balls, um, I don't think they're doing that out of a genuine um, praise of Satan, I actually think it's fashionable. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think it's the peak secular rep, um, representation that you see these these music artists and stuff. Now they're all doing this this Satan worship stuff. I don't not 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 any one of them believes in God, right? So it is secular. Um, so I, I hope that paints a picture 
they're stoked, but I don't, they, you know, in a weird way, I, I was gifted. I think we, our generation's gifted with a why that they're not going to be able to fundamentally get as close to. Mm-hmm. No, it does. That's a, that's a, that's a more beautiful answer than the one that I expected because it contains a lot of truth, particularly about us as men in this particular moment, where we're coming from and where we're going to. So once again, the truth is always better than any expected story. Well, I honor you for your journey that's made you the man that you are. Um, that's led us to cross, path, cross paths with each other. And um, I'm just wondering where can men go to find out more about you and what you do that hasn't already been covered? So I'm on twitter.com at laser hodl. Um, I've been doing a lot of podcasts. Uh, you'll see on my Twitter profile that I have a pinned tweet, a master thread. So you can see all the pods I've done. Um, I, I, I've been sharing my bookshelf because folks really want to know how to be the, the world the way that I do. So I've been sharing book recommendations and um, movie recommendations. Um, a big thing I do is, is, is research like science fictions, the dystopic visions of, of these kind of dystopic uh, governments in the future. And so I, I've watched a lot of those to kind of make sense of those are all rooted in, in, in global governance. And so um, it's really important to kind of absorb some of that. And so I've been sharing movie recommendations for your, your movie night. And um, I, I'm putting out a, a website soon for long form writing. I think I'll switch in February to, to long form. So I can start detailing this thesis in, in a more cogent and coherent way. Um, but I have probably a hundred hours of podcasts at this point that, that all have different bits of gold. So if you want to go on the laser hodl um, journey, <laughs> uh, find me on twitter.com at laser hodl. Well, thank you so much, Laser Hello, This has been amazing. This has been a dream for me too, talking about all the things that I love and, and listening and learning so much. So thank you so much for this. Thanks, Will, and, and thanks to your listeners. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.